then everything's good. And with the local recording begun, let's go check in on Ann Coulter, shall we? That's it, it's over. Then we organized the death squads for the people who wrecked America. You know what you call people you can't talk to? Enemies. And if we want to divide our society into armed camps of enmity, all we have to do is keep doing what we're doing. A radical agenda the event has turned into an opportunity for the left to push a racial and radical agenda. Implementing their radical agenda is the only thing they care about. They're bad actors. What they want to do here is ram their radical agenda down your throat. These are great Americans. These are people that want to see great things for the country. You know, they try and build them like uh, sort of a radical agenda. It's not a radical agenda. It's called the Second Amendment. All right, on with it. Welcome to the Radical Agenda. It's a show about timeless ideas and news of the day and whatever's on your mind, usually at 217-688-1433. But we do not have the phones online today because I have guests with us today. Uh, we have our guests here from Antelope Hill Publishing, Paul Galtieri and Kurt Seidel. Uh, you'll correct my pronunciation, I'm sure, once we do that. We've been communicating in text. Um, they are here from Antelope Hill Publishing to talk about the history of that company and what it is that they're up to. And uh, I think that that's a subject of some interest. You know, if you've been listening to the Radical Agenda for a little while, you know that I recently published my first book. You know that I'm uh, about to publish my second pretty soon, and uh, it's good that we have people in our thing who are in that business, because, you know, when I first started looking into publishing a book, some of you know, I was uh, I was very concerned about deplatforming, of course, because I've suffered a great deal of that, you might have gathered, and I said, well, you know, it, I, I worry about if I can even get my book into a bookstore, much less if... Um, you know, somebody's going to hand me a $30,000 advance and wait for the millions to pull, pull in, right? And so uh, as I go around shopping this out, I, you know, the best quote I came across was it was going to be like a $10,000 investment to get my book published. And then I'd be sitting there with, uh, you know, with a thousand copies of it and hoping that I could sell them. And so this was a sort of a deterrent to publishing. And as uh, I think some of you are aware, you know, I went and I figured out Amazon has basically this, this situation that makes it pretty easy. But of course, I'm terribly worried about getting deplatformed from there. I, I'm not publishing the most shocking things that Christopher Kentwell's ever said to the fucking Amazon platform. You better be goddamn sure. And so the guys at Antelope Hill Publishing, they started thinking about this towards um, uh, the end of December 2019 or January of 2020 sort of batting around the idea. And then in February, they established the uh, the the legal entity um, and they released a book. The, um, the the two founding partners, they wanted to read Leon de Grail's The Burning Souls, but it was not in English. They talked about paying someone to translate and as a way to recoup the translation cost selling that translation. Um, the uh, the the determination was made prior to the release of Burning Souls that the company would do some reprints first in order to develop best practices. Um, they in July of 2020, they ended up releasing the collected works of Padraic Pierce on the website. Is that was that? Um, well, why don't I just get it get into it straight with you instead of trying to go through this timeline? Um, what is the role that each of you have with the company, and um, well, how long you've been with it? Sure. Thanks. Thanks for having us, uh, Chris. Um, uh, long time listener, actually. Uh, a little bit uh, more 
long time ago but uh oh man you've been around for the you you, you've 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 seen the ups and downs of this show well my my apologies fred 2017 that i called in uh oh long long time ago. anyway um uh so yeah i'm paul i do the logistics and fulfillment and uh management of inventory and and um uh, as well as uh we have some custom poster printing and 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 just generally the management of our of our warehouse and, and facility uh kurt yeah, yeah uh, i'm kurt i've been around uh also since the beginning i've been mostly doing editorial duties whether that's translating or proofreading um i work on a lot of the german language stuff and also some of the french language stuff um and also just sort of fill in uh with everything that needs done around here Okay, and so are you actually doing the translations, or you're managing the people who are doing the translations? Are you are you do you speak these languages? Yeah, yeah, my my German's pretty good. I can read French. Um, and I've done I've done a, a couple translations. Well, I did so I did the Burning Souls, uh, which was a translation from French, um, our first one, and you know I do I I don't have my own uh, German work that I translated start to finish, but I've worked closely with the translators, and that always, you know, winds up involving a good deal of, you know, retranslating stuff that maybe wasn't clear um, the way it was done, or or helping them figure stuff out. One of the things that it took us a bit to learn is that uh, when it comes to translation, um, having mastery of the language you're translating from is far less important than having mastery of the language you're translating to. And so we've had a lot of very enthusiastic people volunteer reach out that wanted to to help out with the project that were i'm sure very very competent in the language we were translating from and not as you know masters of the uh the language the english language i I can (laughs) i can appreciate that that distinction right i've read um a couple of different translations of mein kampf or parts of them right i read um i listened to the audio book of the um, the Ford translation, and then while I was in the Charlottesville jail, I actually read what was the Stalag edition, and like that thing was, it, it was more than readable, but it was like riddled with typographic errors, and and it wasn't nearly so eloquent of a of a translation, you know, and so you know you can you can convey a message in plain language, sure, but it's a different thing to try to really convey the 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 art the 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 author's uh, power of their words into the other language mm-hmm. is a different sort of skill. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And so, w- what was it about Burning Souls that, that made you want to start with that? Well, uh, for me, it was just kind of put on my desk. Um, I'm not sure of the uh, exact origins of, of uh, where the interest was developed in it. Um, it was definitely, I mean, obviously, for those who may not know, uh, Leon Grau was a Belgian, um, uh, originally a Rexist, uh, like a monarchist in, in sort Belgium. Sort of a, you could call him a clerical fascist, mm-hmm. right? A Catholic and big supporter of the church and moral mm-hmm. revival through that vehicle. And then when, when the Germans, you probably know the history better than I do, uh, the Germans uh, uh, occupied that area, uh, he pretty, you know, vocally supported them uh, well, he was actually he was interned as a potential collaborator uh, yeah. when when war broke out and basically when the germans invaded they sort of 
sprung him out of out of jail <laughs> yeah um and he collaborated but, yeah yeah well you know he was quite grateful of course for the yeah. the, the early release uh, <laughs> and but anyways he ended up you know he'd been the leader of this political party and you know basically put out the call for his guys to join um what was initially a german army unit that yeah. was a, a the wallonian volunteers mm-hmm. uh that is french-speaking belgians um and he he himself because he had no military experience he went and sort of joined up as a private despite being a a political leader mm-hmm. um and rose from merit alone to become i think the highest ranking non-german ss officer yeah he um, was the only non-german ss officer to lead a division uh, i think that was the language yeah I, I believe so i'd have to double check myself on some of the exact specifics um but uh yeah, and, and of course escaped um, via Denmark mm-hmm. and and Norway, I think, at the end of the war. Um, managed to just barely make it to Spain. I mean, running yeah, on... Crash landed on <laughs> the beach. Crash landed on the beach, yep, yeah. out of gas. Just barely made it. Yeah. Flying over Allied-occupied France. Um, lived out the rest of his life there in Spain, writing and um, yeah. giving interviews and... Uh, to there's, me, there's actually a lot of audio and video recordings of him mm-hmm. that are out there. Yeah, uh, to me, to me, I I find uh, DeGrelle a, a fascinating character um, uh, for a couple of different reasons. But one of which is is that I always think it's interesting to learn about the uh, the the foreign supporters of of National Socialist Germany and 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 the the SS and the NSDAP um, because it's. You know, one could imagine some version of the modern narrative about Germany being true in the, you know, insofar as there's this, oh, well, you know, Germany is an oppressed nation and there's just this guy who's, you know, Mm -hmm. uplifting them. But, you know, it's difficult to to reconcile that, you know, explanation of, of Hitler's success with um the foreign support uh that that he received yeah or for that matter the whole narrative of of german chauvinism yeah which is actually much more true in the previous war that Mm -hmm. was sort of a a, an attitude that was held by many at that time yeah um but yeah by the time the second world war comes around it's really really an ideological struggle that crossed all national boundaries and it turns it into more of a pan-white thing rather than just this sort of you know very specific german um, you know, movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an interesting take on it. Um, and so, uh, what, what, what was the, now you guys are not the founders of the company, I gather. So it's so the, the pub, the owners of the company, they don't make themselves publicly known is my understanding. Is that correct? Or, uh, I mean, that, that is correct. I, I believe that this is, uh, publicly, uh, acknowledged, but, but I, uh, as Paul, the, the name Paul, uh, and one of the partners um uh i i was brought on uh, i had just actually um i was not like in on the the ground floor i guess you could say but but i got involved pretty quickly um uh, i was good friends with uh the original two uh guys that had the idea to translate to grell's uh poetic memoirs um myself and kurt were longtime friends with okay uh, those guys so um We've been around, just not uh, not at the very beginning. Okay, and so uh, can you speak to the um, can you speak to the original intent of like why why another book publisher? I mean, what I discovered with Amazon is that 
you know, they make it they make it pretty easy for authors. It, it's like they, it costs them up nothing up front. It's you know, of course. It, it actually turns out to be a pretty big deal. But I have this, I, and I don't know it for certain. But I imagine that you know, if I start trying to publish you know more controversial works, that I might run into problems with them. I don't know if that's really the case because I do know that Amazon, you know, you can still buy Mein Kampf there. I'm pretty sure. Um, I don't right. know what they've banned exactly, but you know, it's not. It's not Facebook, you know. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, so we we do uh, print and sell some of our uh, works uh, on, or they are available on Amazon. I should correct myself because the way that that works gets a little bit complicated because it's not directly through us uh, being sold there. Um, but but many of our works have been removed from the website due to obviously content um, guidelines. Um, one of the most notable versions. Uh, uh, examples is the transgender industrial complex, which is Scott Howard's uh, deep dive into the um, the financial backing and uh, like NGOs and, and sort of following the money behind transgender education and legislation and etc. Um, that was banned uh, at about the same time as the transgender craze coming for our daughters. That uh, was a Jewish lesbian, I think, uh, that uh, published that book. Um, I'm not uh, sure if she was Jewish. Oh, I know who I, you're talking. The the um permanent damage was the name of her book. I think you're talking about, or it was, or there was a book by that title. Was, and maybe the subtitle was the transgender craze uh, coming for our daughters, which is basically our the thesis of which was was that you know lesbians are being erased by transgenderism, and isn't that a, such an absolute travesty? <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, so so yeah, th there yeah, are Abigail some, Schreier is the is, yeah, you're absolutely it. right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it, there's definitely some censorship that, that, that happens on Amazon, but why us do it? Um, independent of Kurt sort of mentioned that, that one of the big, uh, ideas was just like, well, let's get this thing done and let's also, you know, make it available for other people and we've got to price it fairly. And, you know, if we're going to be doing all this other stuff, we'll get a couple other, you know, uh, reprints that people are interested in. And it was, surprisingly there was actually a lot of people who were interested in it um uh and you know there, there were existing publishers at that time we had of course arctos uh which you have a pretty good relationship with um but i think imperium press had only just uh gotten off the ground if they were even really around at all when we first started so it was kind of like i mean there was ostara and ostara is probably the the biggest uh you know a competition other than Arctos, but Arctos was mostly original works. Ostara had a lot of reprints. They're, you know, they just were kind of the same as a lot of the historic right-wing publishers in that they, they focused more on building out a large catalog rather than having modern cover design and uh, editing standards and formatting etc and so we we kind of wanted to take that into a little bit more of a modern uh you know hipster kind of professional uh, uh direction and and see where that took us and and so something you know, that makes people feel good about yeah. picking up that book and reading yeah. it because when you when you read some of the like old school um reprints that mm -hmm. are are you know, badly formatted. It's you know, it sort of feels transgressive. I guess like yeah. you're you're delving into 
you really shouldn't be getting into. Yeah. Um, no one bothers but, formatting. You know, that doesn't that doesn't work for everyone. It yeah. doesn't capture the widest possible audience. And so we so we we worked with a, a very talented uh, graphic designer who we are still uh, also working with to this day. And uh, you know, we we tried really hard to to put together a quality um, final product that that people that looked professional. It looked like it was a sort of a looked like it was a regular book publisher, not just a right wing dissident right. Publ you're not, publisher. You're not embarrassed for you know your parents yeah. to see it. Yeah, right? <laughs> At least you're embarrassed by the content instead of the <laughs> well the possibly, covers. Sorry. <laughs> it didn't doesn't look like it was designed on MS Paint or anything like that. Anyway. Um, so I mean that was that was like part of I think why we found success um, uh, a big part of it uh, you know we are all racist of course we judge books by their cover um, <laughs> yeah you like that one. Um, the yeah so so it was like well yeah let's give this a shot see if we can do it and you know none of us really had any background in publishing of any kind whatsoever nope. uh, not even one English degree amongst us um, but uh, <laughs> we wanted to try and you know do something and and uh, got a lot of support from a lot of the guys at trs of course you know it's no secret that they they gave us uh plenty of getting getting off the ground and and we wanted to we wanted to make something make a, an institution that was going to you know be able to stick around i mean at least once we started and found got a little bit of traction it was like all right let's 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 make this thing something that's going to last. And so we started to professionalize, and that was the impetus for not doing print on demand. Like you know, let's let's get it in house. Let's print large volumes of these books and do our own film and stuff like that. That's that's I think a, an excellent motive. Now I'm going to do something technical wise on here that's that may disconnect our streams for just a second. They will reconnect automatically within several seconds. So I'm just going to ask our guests and uh, the audience to stand by for just a second while I try to fix this problem um give me just a second guys and hopefully we're going to find out that we're back very soon and it seems that on odyssey it does seem that we are and so like you know let's let's get it in house oh no odyssey is still playing the prior thing now i expect that why is this happening? All right. Well, I'm just going to have to troubleshoot that afterwards. I thought my VPN might be causing the, the problem that we had, but that does not appear to be um, the source of our trouble. Um, did my audio application crash? Sorry, guys. One man show. Okay. Reconnection successful, but I'm still not able to connect to those other platforms. I don't know why, but um, we'll just uh, we'll just continue. So we're back. We should be back live on Odyssey. It says that we're connected. And we are. Okay. So we're back on Odyssey. I don't know what's wrong with the other platforms. I'll have to troubleshoot that when I don't have guests on the line. I'm sorry about that. Um, so as, as we were saying, so when you start doing this, now one of the things that I noticed when I went into the, the Kindle publishing thing is, you know, to publish – like reprints of public works is actually something that it, it seems like almost anybody can do, but you guys have gone to the extent of, you know, hiring graphic designers and sort of putting these things in a more presentable form, I gather. Um, what about the original works? What You have some, um, some authors who are, uh, are published through you now? Yep. 
Like sure. who? Yeah. Uh, so we, we have we have a handful of authors that, that have published multiple works with us. Scott Howard, um, uh, Marty Phillips, um, uh, and and a and a larger list, a longer list of uh, a Carrie Bolton. We've gotten two books by Carrie Bolton now. Right. So we've gotten some established authors that have uh, made their way over to us. Uh, we're doing reprints of existing um, works from uh, uh, Paul Kersey, um, and. Uh, yeah, so so yeah, we we have new work as well as uh, uh, historic reprints. Some some uh, Patrick Pierce ones you, you mentioned uh, that was uh, pretty early on one that was already existing uh, writing in English uh, that we reprinted. Um, but most of our works are typically either new translations or a retranslation of a book that there's an existing uh, either unavailable or low quality translation. Um, uh, yeah, yeah so. I mean, most of the stuff you can at least find a machine translation online right. mm -hmm. and, you know, sort of get an idea of what it's talking about. Uh, but all of our stuff, you know, with a few limited exceptions, is stuff that you can't really get, at least in a high quality copy. Well, and you know, that's kind of the thing. You know, the, there's that 80 20 rule is in effect everywhere. And, you know, you can get 80% of what you need from, you know, open AI, say, you know, doing a translation yeah. Yeah. of a book. But as you mentioned um, uh, before, it, it, you know, the, the, the language skill of the uh, translator in both languages is pertinent here to really truly convey you know, the sense mm -hmm. of what the author was doing. So, I mean, you know, you can basically get the book translated for free if you want to tolerate OpenAI's translation. But then you've got, you know, that that 20% less, that 20% that um, quality difference, you know, that makes up 80% of your costs, probably more even, right? Yeah. Um, and so, and the other thing is people people like physical copies of things. Like we, we were frankly surprised ourselves uh, at how, much people are willing to, uh, you know, basically uh, go out of their way to get a physical copy of books. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I personally also prefer it, but I, I tend to take for granted that that most people are are perfectly willing to read off of a screen, and and it actually doesn't seem to be all as much true as you'd think. A lot of people are really, really want that tactile, like physical book. I mean, not to mention, of course, the fact that that you know you can't you can't deplatform a book off your shelf you, you can't censor uh you know or whatever google can't can't touch your bookshelf well they they can't uh they can't touch your bookshelf uh you know we could get to fahrenheit 451 levels you know <laughs> and it doesn't i don't know how far we are from there i mean we're 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 at 1984 approaching brave new world rapidly and so who knows but uh, smart bookshelves <laughs> the um uh, but you know what what do you guys i mean what is wh tell me this what's the difference for the author to go through you or to just go through amazon what 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 does he gain or or what does the advantage for the author well uh i mean independent uh obviously an existing customer base the the graphic design professional formatting uh, professional editing um proofreading services um and the ability to you know have the assurance that we're not going to deplatform. You know, they're they're not going to get kicked off of their their uh, pr their only service provider. Of course, if you're you're an author and you have something relatively uncontroversial, you can you can probably uh, you know maintain access to Amazon um, fairly consistently. But uh, you know, we're catering to an audience of people, not an audience. Uh, we're catering to a a an authorship 
uh, of people who believe in the mission and the you know the the interests of the future of the white race and and you know in the world and and uh if that's reflected in their books then it's not going to last on amazon too long so well and let's not forget that our uh our royalty rates are competitive yeah no that's that's <laughs> true not to you know shield too some much people, here but uh, some people get a better deal from us than they do from amazon yeah um i mean it depends on you know the size and you know there's a couple different factors that that are at play there but uh certainly if you're paying anything out to have the book edited and uh you know uh formatted um we don't charge authors anything so we we you know you give us a book that we accept you're not going to pay a single penny out of pocket for the production of that book yeah of course that means that we're you know we have to be very selective about what we of do course yeah. publish we're not going to publish anything yeah <laughs> we're not amazon yeah. <laughs> right right well, yeah that's the funny thing about amazon is literally anything can be published there whether you're going to sell any copies is another question because they just you know they, they'll print the books up on demand and it obviously costs them next to nothing to distribute the kindles um fun story we actually had uh when we were doing some printing through amazon because there's different uh services that amazon provides right and we had some books printed uh we got uh a copy of uh one of i don't remember what book it was do you remember oh man i i I know where you're going with this. Yeah. But no, I can't remember what the actual what book it was supposed to be. The, the, so it was our cover, and the interior of the book was black erotic like fan fiction or something like that. <laughs> so, still not sure if that was an accident or somebody's idea of a, of a I guess an own on the Nazis. Uh, it was, it was those too good to be on purpose. Yeah. Uh, you guys and, mentioned that some of the works that you've published through Amazon have been removed, but you guys still have like a, now I don't know. I, 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 my limited understanding of it is that Amazon has a different interface for publishers than for authors, I guess. And so like you basically have a, a relationship with Amazon and the author can publish through you to Amazon or does the author maintain his own author account and, and do it that way or what? Yeah. So it would, it would, the distribution would go through us. So yes, uh, the, as you know, like Marty's books, I believe are, are still on Amazon. Um, and uh, they, uh, actually, I think for some reason, I think the hardcover is banned, but like not the soft cover or vice versa. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, that that goes through Antelope Hill. Uh, yes, uh, we have we have. Yeah, uh, it, it would get it would get overly technical and boring for the audience. I promise if, if, if I get. Yeah, I shouldn't I shouldn't start like trying to figure out my own business plans on the radical agenda. Um, <laughs> but well, um, I guess it's a good time to mention, though, um, we're looking for new authors if you're interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, sure, I, I but... just published my first book, which is, you know, you could hardly even call it a call it a book. It's 26 pages. It's actually a monologue from one of my podcasts that I decided to 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 publish. But I'm actually working on my my second book right now is actually a, a, um, about my run for Congress in uh, in 2010, which is actually turning out to be a a more interesting read that is not comprised of things that are already public. So maybe we'll talk about that. Um, and, uh, we'll see, uh, you know, the, when you have had the problems with Amazon with them, you know, deplatforming books, do you have, you have a dispute resolution process? Can you talk about that at all? <laughs> yeah, I think we did try. Uh, and then it was basically like two weeks, you know, I think that might have been the origin of the the business weeks that that became a bit of a meme within the the uh, the Antelope Hill team was was actually <laughs> them saying like we'll get back to you in like 
four to five weeks and so he started saying that uh yeah nah it's a joke there's no there's no recourse but um i guess you know it bears mentioning the only reason that we have amazon at all because we fulfill everything ourselves right amazon's there for basically international customers right where us shipping to them would cost you know four times more than Right. the actual book yeah so so for for those who may not be aware um the uh, amazon when you buy a book internationally they're likely printing in uh you know your home economic or trade zone um uh, obviously they probably don't have printers in every single country but uh that's how they can maintain the prices being low um if we have to send a book to europe for example it's going to be like minimum 30 dollars shipping just in shipping alone mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we 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 encourage international customers to buy there because they will save a lot of money on shipping uh, as a, as compared yeah. to buying from our website. But for domestic customers, uh, our website's going to be cheaper yes. because we you know we have to bump up the price a little bit on Amazon because they take a cut. Yeah, and I saw that um, you guys found yourselves uh, when the SPLC started coming after you. There was some controversy mm-hmm. because you guys were getting some of these books into like public libraries and stuff, right? Yeah, uh, the, that actually wasn't any of our specific doing. Those were our uh, loyal fans and customers that were uh, getting some of our books <laughs> into into various different places. Yeah, they weren't happy about that. Uh, I do. I, I did find it. Uh, I think we. I forget which book it was. It might have been one of the Man's Worlds or something. Uh, landed on Jack Posobiec's desk, and then uh, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he Man's very World. quickly deleted after after uh, what was it? Um, uh, I think Hayden subtweeted him. And was like, <laughs> Michael Edison <laughs> Hayden and I go way back, you know, before he was mm-hmm. uh, when he was still a lo- on the lowly Newsweek beat before he uh, got upgraded to the real scumbags over at the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's a big fan of ours. Yeah, Man, he's got a long list of fans, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's you know, you, 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 Michael Edison Hayden. You, all, all you could, the only good thing you could say about him is that uh, he he works hard. He, he's 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 never <laughs> he's never not listening to Nazi podcasts or breaking somebody's balls. The guys guys all over his job. So you know, one of these days he's going to become a Nazi if he keeps listening to all. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, that's kind of the funny thing, right? You know, I've it, people. Um, people criticize me for I, I still will talk to mainstream media from time to time depending on how I'm feeling that that day uh, they don't really care to talk to me too much these days but you know right up until the fucking feds broke my door down they 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 talk to me from time to time and they're like why do you talk to them I'm like well you know if they keep on listening you know we're going to affect their ideas it, you know it, they can't help it you know and uh you know, some some somehow they maintain some level of immunity to it. I don't know how they do, but I'm sure it drives them completely fucking nuts. You know? Yeah, I, I can't. I honestly, I tried for once. I wanted to listen to an anti foot podcast or like a. I don't even remember what it was. I wanted like some like le- dirt do some bag opposition left thing. research. Yeah, and I, like yeah. I made it like ten minutes in. I'm like, this is horrible. I I I can't. I this. I'm I'm bored. I don't know what's going on. It sucks. Like these people aren't entertaining. Like I I can't, I can't. I do not understand. I guess you know at least most of our guys are entertaining. Yeah, you know, it, real quick, I'll point out right before we came on the air, you mentioned something about the the laptop and the platform that it's on. I'm hearing movement of that table through the microphone just just to be aware of it's not that bad it's not debilitating to the listener but i just figured i'd make you aware of it um the you know i've always said that like 
all of the attempts at left-wing talk radio, say for like NPR, have been complete mm-hmm. failures, right? Like they, they actually, it's not, you know, radio is a thinking man's medium. And the whole point of left-wing propaganda is to like make thought impossible. You know, you're, you're basically, you know, the, the talk radio is something that's, you know, it's a it's a thinking man's medium. And you try to put this nonsense in there like, yeah, there's you know, there's you could be any number of genders. And people are like, no, I can't do that while thinking. You know, I have to I have mm-hmm. to put my mind in some other state than rational thought to, to comprehend that nonsense, you know. And so the they've never been. Say again. You need the flashing colors to distract you from the unreality of the. Yeah, content. you need to watch like Rachel Maddow freak out like a dope fiend in withdrawal. You need your eyes distracted mm-hmm. to make that make any sense, you know. And so, mm-hmm. so it doesn't it doesn't work radio for them. You know, the only way they're able to do it is NPR, and NPR of course exists, you know, at the behest of government subsidy and and charity from lunatics, right? And so they sell their stupid little fucking handbags yeah. or whatever, and 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 they get uh, little old ladies to go send them their fucking social security checks, and otherwise don't they don't exist. Like, it's the government. It's publicly funded. How do they? How like how do they sleep at night asking people for donations? Like, you pay <laughs> your taxes. That's what you pay your tax. You, well, what in there? I'm not not to defend NPR, but you know they they whenever you say that about them, when Twitter labeled them state media. Um, they went into conniption fits. They're like, only, you know, some, you know, 25% of our funding actually comes from taxpayer money. And I'm like, well, don't I wish that 25% of my fucking revenue came from the government, right? But like, you know, and and the the reason that 25% of your revenue makes up the reason the government makes up only 25% of your revenue is because you're in, you're bringing the other 75% in through these other variety of me- means to do it right you know they don't have they don't have advertisements that you would hear on you know daily wire or rush limbaugh but they you know they they have their npr style plugs right which is you know those are paid advertisements and then they turn around and they they solicit donations and they and they're like yeah buy the fucking handbag or whatever and people do that and you know but I can't imagine that, <clears throat> I, I, you know, the people who are doing that, I imagine, are, are largely doing it as a form of activism, right? They're like, oh, this is exactly what I want. I want the government to take over the media because, you know, because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm that kind of, you know, 1984 lunatic, you know. Um, and so, you know, I, I listened to a lot of NPR when I was in prison. And, you know, that's that's basically the only... The only way that you could do it is lock me in a fucking cage and <laughs> and yeah. and deprive me of other alternatives, you know. Um, and I got more familiar with that platform during the, the three years that I was in their custody. <laughs> they have their own NPR uh, uh, now uh, with the White Papers podcast. <laughs> if you've never listened to that, then go check it out. You'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, and so, all right. So you guys, uh, you guys are doing the reprints. You've got the, you know, a few authors, um, you, you publish a book by the guy who calls himself raw egg nationalist, or did you use his mm-hmm. real name earlier? And I missed that. Or, or this is one of the things I read, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't, I don't, I have no idea what his real name is. So, uh, I don't think anyone does, but, um, yeah, he's a British, uh, bro scientist. I think that that's, that's what they call it. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, yeah, he he's like I don't know. I guess uh, the BAP sphere is is a mm-hmm. is a general term to use for, uh, but yeah, no, which he, isn't really our our usual thing. But no, but he wanted man, that guy's hilarious. Yeah, like he approached us and and uh, I guess one of his mutuals uh, put us in touch initially for 
for his first uh, book, which was the Raw Egg Nationalist Cookbook, uh, which is fun. Uh, some good recipes in there. Um, uh, and uh, it's like high gloss, you know, hardcover. It was one of our first versions of that. It forays into that type of printing. Um, and yeah, so he just kept coming back. So we, we have uh, three years of his Man's World magazine uh, hardcover year, you know, yearly edition and uh uh his um book uh the eggs Ex benedict, benedict option, option yeah. uh which is like a uh, yeah like a narrative uh not narrative i should say the like a political treatise on on how food is related to the all the social changes that we're experiencing in the sort of post-industrial era um and um yeah no so he's he's been a pretty loyal author uh, for us, and he was on Tucker, so you know he's probably our most high-profile author. <laughs> you mentioned um, the the transgender industrial complex. It was banned from Amazon. Who's the uh, Who's the author on that one? Scott Howard. Okay, so and, he's done. Go ahead. He's done several books. Was, was yeah, it? three three, three books. No, yeah, so he's got ahead. transgender industrial complex was his first one, uh, and then Open Society Playbook, and then uh, the Plot Against Humanity is most recent. I think he's got another book coming out soon, but I won't tease it just in case we haven't announced anything. Uh, um, and so, um, the are his other books still available on Amazon, or just the transgender industrial complex got banned? I couldn't tell you. Got to be honest, head. I don't know. Um, I can check for you. What else got um, banned from Amazon that we could talk about? Uh, so I believe Burning Souls is no longer available on Amazon. Um, so the girls, uh, I think. Ironically, the one that you would think, which is the Hitler speeches, I believe that's still available. I'm pretty sure you're right. I think that's uh, can you search by uh, an author on there? Uh, let's see. So that's interesting. So I mean, you know, this is um, uh, yes, yeah. There doesn't seem to be a consistent rhyme or reason to it. Well, nope. Wait a yep. second. Uh, in his own words, uh, the essential speeches of Adolf Hitler is still available on Amazon as of now. Um, and a couple of the other of our third Reich collection books are, are also available. I think it's probably because they're just like they're historical and, and that seems right, to be right. you mentioned that, that Mein Kampf is, is also available on Amazon. So I, I think that they sort of give a pass to stuff if it's justifiably historical, uh, whereas if it's a little bit too ideological um, without a historical context, something like Transgender Industrial Complex, a new work uh, uh, or even DeGrell stuff as being sort of a generally unknown to the average um, uh, consumer, you know, without that, that historical context it uh, they, they seem to be much more inclined to. Uh, it, it does appear that the burning souls is available and it's available from Antelope Hill publishing. I'm, I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at your Amazon well, listing right now, actually. So none of the, nothing's actually available from Antelope Hill publishing. It, I think it's probably just listing the, the publisher on there. So, so yep. Yeah, you're right. I oh, see okay. There. Um, the I'm trying to remember the other ones that we've was we've it the lost. other DeGrell book maybe I don't know probably um, and then the, the other thing is that that like it, it gets and this is what's this is what I, I was trying not to like uh, uh, bore the audience with um, there are third-party redistributors that that we can indirectly access that then themselves like list on Amazon and we don't even actually have control over that. So so it's it, there's third party services that we can list our books with that eventually end up on Amazon, 
Um, and that seems to, for whatever reason, have less uh, accessibility and, and banability than, than our, um, uh, our account originally when we were listing them. So once again, we actually don't have uh, an like active account for for our physical books on Amazon. Everything that we sell comes through these this like roundabout third party redistributor uh, agreement. That's that's interesting, and I mean, I wouldn't want to uh, prod you for trade secrets or whatever, but uh, I will tell you. Don't worry too much about boring the radical agenda audience. Sometimes part of the reason that they tune into this program is we get into the weeds on things and, and so a lot of them do appreciate it. Um, and so like, um, but that sounds like we would be getting into business practices that maybe, I don't know if you'd really want to discuss anyway. Um, so you um, you have these relationships with these other distributors, but I guess the upside to that for the author then is is probably that they have more promotional mechanisms than you have at your own disposal then. Sure. Okay. Good. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, the the first children's book was the Twelve Dancing Princesses and Other Stories from Europe. Can you tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Um. Yeah. So we we had uh, a proposal from um. Uh, someone friend of a friend uh that had put together uh some original illustrations and uh to to some classical uh children's book or sorry uh, like uh, Ger german fairy tales um that i, I think right. is for traditional one. stories yeah, yeah traditional uh uh yeah so it was it was uh kind of that was one of our first uh, or that was our first children's book as you mentioned um with the the goal of seeing what kind of you know interest there was and there was a pretty, pretty uh substantial amount of of people that that you know wanted to you know get something that you know maybe to give to the children of their liberal uh you know family members or whatever and sneaking under their nose uh yeah so. and of course you know that kind of stuff just becomes politically relevant with mm -hmm. all the you know culture war stuff about you know children's books like my two moms or whatever yeah. the hell they're they're putting yeah. you know in these bookstores um so we thought it'd be worthwhile to at least you know put out something that people could go and buy and and know what they're getting that it's not going to be a, a bunch of crazy shit and additionally the um since we were sort of just talking about amazon distribution um there there are uh amazon's internal like book you know printing and distribution mechanisms uh, do not have options for uh, high gloss color hard uh, hardbound books. So we do, you know, are, we are the only ones that can offer uh, as the publisher direct from our facility uh, those works that we have. Which is a there's a good number of them now. We have three different children's books and uh, and and then of course a handful of the Wren's Rag Nationalist books that are uh, high gloss hardcovers. Mm -hmm. So you you mentioned direct from your own facility. So you're actually doing printing of the books on your. You have in house capacity to print the books. No, not not printing. Uh, just just like fulfillment. So so we okay. you know we place the orders and and receive and manage the warehousing and uh, and distribution. So yeah. I mean, in in the interest of you know just not having a single failure point, though you know we go through a, a yeah. bunch of different printers and whatever, um, so that we don't have that that single you know deplatforming. 
um, vulnerability. And we have actually gotten banned off of uh, we one printer that we use pretty heavily initially uh, has banned us as a company. So uh, you know, it's something that happens. You know, we honestly, I didn't think it was going to happen, but uh, uh, and we we even tried to sneak one under their nose and like make a new account and to have something printed, uh, <laughs> and they 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 did didn't let it slide uh yeah so uh, you, you tried under like another account to have a book printed yeah. and they were like no i know who you nazi cocksuckers yep. are yeah yeah um, i think well obviously you know we're still printing our actual name in the book so yeah know, all i had to do was actually look at it right. also the, yeah. <laughs> we weren't trying to be that sneaky i think it was also uh, it was our special edition of Adolf Hitler's speeches. So they yeah, may, that, that, that may have thrown a flags. red flag. <laughs> I actually bought that ebook from you guys uh, that came recommended oh, okay. to me. And so that was my, uh, my, my first purchase with Antelope Hill. I, I bought the EPUB and uh, it is a, uh, it is a great book. And um, so you have, now what is the, you mentioned that you have these different imprints. So like the fiction imprint is Jackalope Hill. And then the, Little Frog Hill is the children's book imprints. What? Wh why the difference in imprints? What's the branding in, in, in consideration uh, there? I don't. I mean, really, we're just kind of having fun with it. Yeah, that's okay. it. It was. It was Jack, like, Jack like, Lope Hill for fiction. You know, fictional creature thought that was that'd be good. Yeah, Little got, Frog Hill for you know our our uh, yeah. Little Frog. Oh, Pepe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I didn't do that. Uh, Nah, yeah, so it's, I mean, it, basically, the you know, it's not uh, we're all on the same website, and you know, uh, there's no yeah, there's no real difference. No, it's just you know a uh, a means of of I guess in, at, maybe at some future point uh, dividing the catalog a little bit for uh, accessibility um, uh, and uh, searchability, something like that. Maybe. So I mean, look, uh, you know, and I intend that for this to be a friendly interview, but you're telling me that. You know, you've got other people connecting to Amazon for you. You've got other people publishing the books. You've got other people getting them into the libraries. Like you guys, <laughs> other than you guys are just, I mean, you did mention that you do like the graphic designs and sort of like, you know, putting together, I guess, editing the manuscript and stuff like that. You know, for an, for an author, are there other services that you provide? Um, so like you said, uh, the graphic design, uh, editing, formatting, uh, don't, take for granted how much of a difference formatting makes. I mean, that that is a significant amount of, of labor uh, to, you know, it's not just copy paste text into a Word document and hit print. Um, I've, uh, I've come as, to more fully appreciate that very recently. Yeah, I, I, I imagine if you self-publish, you would. Um, yeah, the so that um, we, as mentioned, we have the facility so, and, and a relationship with many different printers uh, so we can maintain up time we have our own website and uh, of course payment processing and and the ability to uh to host and and make available uh these books to uh a fairly large existing audience um uh, we have uh several hundred um you know uh probably actually more than a thousand yeah uh thousands uh, over our, the history of the, the company of, of many repeat customers who buy several of our books, you know, uh, if not every single one that, that comes out. So, you know, we have a, a fairly substantial um, existing customer base that we can uh, offer as well as the just knowledge and industry. And um, we've been really recently, we've been pushing our um, uh, public image and, and accessibility to to um, 
we we want to put ourselves a little bit more in front of uh, the audiences of creators like yourself, um, and uh, just remind people that you know we have a catalog and and uh, you know get that kind of earned media and advertising going that that we were a little bit more trepidatious about when we first started. Uh, we've also been sending a lot of review copies out. So if you yourself would like any any of our books, you know, just let us know and we'll be happy to send you a review copy. Um, and we we've been pretty generous with discount codes and and you know and other things to to basically get the the message out there so that is something that we do for uh our authors and and uh you know existing um catalog we we do uh we have been especially this year really has been the big push to to get uh you know get get known throw a bit of a wider net yeah yeah. Exactly. Um, now you mentioned the payment processing, which I've I've certainly faced some challenges with. I, I'm very glad that you know new options have emerged while I was in the custody of the United States government uh, for for conducting financial transactions. Have you guys run into any problems with payment processors? Has that been pretty stable for you? Uh, thus far, no. We've managed to stay ahead of uh, that issue, and we even actually have some backups, uh, you know, ready to go if we do get uh, we do lose our existing. Um, uh, processor um uh, i don't i don't think any any of our financial services uh, have been a problem uh to date but like i mentioned at we, least not major problem do you we, think that there's kinda, yeah uh, do you think that there's when you're talking about books right you know the the left they try to call ron DeSantis a book burner notably because they understand yeah. that like in american culture the book is a special cultural reference, you know? Do you think mm -hmm. that books grant you um, a little bit more leeway than say podcasts or blogs might might? I'm gonna obtain? say prob uh, probably not for the reason that you're, you're bringing up now. I don't think it's anything special to do with books. It, I think it's probably like 95% of the, the benefit that we received has been just by uh, distributing a physical product uh, because the the, Frankly, the justifiable fraud risk of digital or you know media-based uh, products uh, is a big. I think that that just lowers the threshold of uh, deplatforming uh, like pretty pretty significantly. When when you're distributing a physical product, it's just it's a lot. You know, you have you have the cover of having a physical item that arrives to a a customer. And not that, of course, any of the right-wing podcasters are fraudulently generating revenue for themselves through stolen credit cards or anything like that. However, the fact that that is a possibility raises one the attention on the account, and two the uh, and you know lowers the the uh, other requirements for for uh, you know suspension of services. So that is uh, that's I think most of I, I th I'm conscious of the, the distinction that you're making you know when I first ran into payment processing issues you know post Charlottesville um, one of the things that I did was I started um, like an like an, uh, an online retailer I started a website called edgy goodies where I would basically sell physical products and mm -hmm. I had gone to like to try to get payment processing for the radical agenda it was completely impossible I, I actually ended up getting I got on the phone with um, an agent who deals with these like payment processing companies and he got on the line with me and he's like yeah you're basically blacklisted for anything to do with radio and i was like you gotta be fucking kidding me guy and and he's like yeah you could start like another company like you could ship products 
And I was like, okay, I guess I'll ship products and then I'll, you know, advertise the products on my website or whatever. And I started doing that and I was able to, uh, I was able to obtain payment processing that way that I couldn't even do for like, I started before I, my, the, what might be described as the first iteration of Surreal Politics. I started a thing called Outlaw Conservative, not very well thought out, tried to do like a clean version of the radical agenda. And I could, you know, I had trouble getting payment processing for that. But as soon as I got, I launched the website with the, uh, with the products, they're like, yeah, you could, if, you know, if, if, if we tell you that you can't ship products, that's a more definite, like you're shut out of the financial system, you know? And, and they, I guess more than the concern for fraud, because, you know, I've never had a chargeback, for example, and you know, like Stripe is like, yo, you're too high risk for us. I'm like, I've been in business for over a decade and I've never had a chargeback. What are you talking about? High risk, you know? It's, you know, they're more concerned, I think, that they're washing donations, right, in in the name of digital sales, right, that they're not, that you're not that you're worried about you're doing stolen credit cards, but that you're, you know, basically um, uh, passing off what are fundamentally donations and you're trying to pass them off as sales because they have different rules for those sorts of things seems to be, you know, the impetus of it. They don't want to finance the political activity, but they have a different, it's more difficult for them to justify shutting you out of you know buying and selling because once you do that then you know then you're officially cut out of the financial system and they got they got more to answer for i think and so that makes sense to me um you know in the course of doing this though i mean you guys have been attacked by the splc you know your 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 wikipedia says you're a white nationalist publishing company um it, it does the does the marketing literature of uh, antelope hill market itself as a white nationalist publishing company is there is that a categorization that you have sought to dispute at all? No, I mean, n- no. Like the co- the company is not a white nationalist company. The 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 company is a um, you know exists to fulfill its mission statement of making you know pro Western anti liberal uh, you know thought uh, available. Um, and yeah, I mean. We, Not that I'm going to protest too much no, at the characterization. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's nobody's slightly, suing but, yeah, them I mean, for defamation never, over this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's never been a part of our our advertising literature. No, it's never been a part of our mission statement or anything official that we put out about the company. That is a uh, description that they have applied to us. Mm-hmm. We okay. we are you know we are Americans. We are white Americans. The company is run by and, and, you know, for white Americans. Uh, and, you know, we believe that nationalist ideas should be made accessible, um, to, to the public and especially the ones that typically get, uh, repressed, which typically, you know, uh, lend themselves towards, uh, a certain, um, racialist nationalist, uh, view. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, at the end of the day, the company's object is to to make these ideas um, available to, to people that they you know we believe that there there is a value to the European Western civilized world and that it should not go extinct. But beyond that, the company itself does not have yeah, a mean, political su- agenda. Suffice to say, uh, Antelope Hill Publishing, the goal of of this publishing company is not to make America yes white. Yeah, uh, the, the goal of the publishing companies to publish books. Correct. Um, now, I know uh, we talked uh, before about, uh, you know, I do a two-hour show. I, I told you I'd keep you guys for at least the first hour. Is it okay with you if we – I'm sorry to put you on the spot in front of the audience. Is it okay if I keep you a little bit longer? 
No, sure, yeah. sure. Okay, absolutely. good, good, good. Because um, we, we've been, because of my um, my unique interest in the details of your publishing company, I haven't even gotten to talk to you about ideas yet, and so we're just getting started. Um, and right. and so um, the company, you know, was begun it, 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 the as I was reading it. As I was reading your Wikipedia, which is, is, you know, some people might not know is an Antifa blog, Wikipedia. Uh, so not all of their information is is perfectly accurate. But, um, you know, there was something called the the there was a bull moose party thing on a on a college campus that was like a, a Trumpite thing that was being branded white nationalist with whatever level of justification. Um, and and it spins out of this. Does that ring any bells to you? And can you elaborate? I mean, there's there's a lot of things that that get uh, you know thrown around. Okay, I mean, it's not that's not the, the that's not an angle that we want to pursue them. Um, no. And so the the Antelope Hill website, as you say, the mission statement of it. Um, I just had it up in a tab here, and then I went to another tab. Um, the Antelope Hill Publishing seeks to ensure history, culture, and revolutionary ideas will be preserved in written word and made easily accessible, fairly priced, and professionally published. The best refutation of historical revisionists is a clear statement of primary counts fighting the battle for minds from the printed page instead of locked away in secret hard drives in foreign languages. Antelope Hill translates, transcribes, and republishes existing works in print and ebook format. We are also looking for the authors who will tell the story of the current generation so that we can publish the words that will inspire us to victory. If there is an old book you would like to see republished or translated into English, we want to hear from you. If you are a dissident who wants his voice heard, we want to publish you. We believe in preservation with the printed page whenever possible to ensure independence from state or corporate control. We are willing to take on books that other publishers would consider a reputational risk. We will publish for lost causes, righteous mercenaries, anonymous critics, freedom fighters, revolutionaries, and exiles. You know, that actually, the, that last uh, line there, it brings an interesting thing to mind. You know, um, you know if, if somebody wants to go publish to Amazon on their own, they've got to tell Amazon who they are, right? If, they, if they, they're going to go tell this company, which is, you know, not on our side by any stretch of the imagination, yeah, here's the social security number that you need to file the tax form with. And uh, then you can go ahead and publish this dissident work of mine that is going to attract the attention of the intelligence agencies. Do you protect the identities of authors and how? Uh, of course. Yes. Uh, we, yes, we, we consider that uh, in this business and in this, you know, sphere of, uh, of people and, you know, targeting the, the clientele and, and authors that we are, that that's something that we take seriously and, uh, you know, have always um, uh, done our due diligence to, uh, maintain that um and i understand that you know to to describe precisely how would would probably defeat the purpose of the enterprise but can you can you elaborate on that at all we i mean we well, in general i mean you know yeah. we're going to ask for as little information as possible and whatever information we do ask for doesn't leave yeah you know the the immediate person to whom it is relevant yeah, we 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 fulfill our obligations to the IRS uh, as far as um, uh, taxes and uh, documentation and filing goes, and we aid our uh, contractors and authors in um, structuring their records and uh, bookkeeping in such a way as to do so as well and keep themselves as um, as 
anonymous as is legally allowable. Mm-hmm. And of course, all our contracts are going to include, you know, your sort of typical non-disclosure provisions um, for what those are worth. Obviously, you know, the contractual stuff is never a guarantee. And if you ever have to enforce it, you're already in a position you don't want to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. But, you know, we do everything that we can. Yeah. Well, that's a valuable service indeed. You know, as I uh, as I published um, my first book to Amazon, I mean, it's not anything that I was seeking to hide. I already published it under my real name. But, you know, it occurred to me that, you know, there are probably people who would love to publish a book who are like, I'm not giving Amazon my social security number, <laughs> you know. And mm-hmm. so that that does seem to me a valuable uh, a valuable service that you are providing to the authors. And so, you know, one of the things mentioned here is, you know, trying to I- expand our uh, break out of the ghetto, say, to to expand our mm-hmm. access to be- beyond our, you know, our echo chamber as it has become. And, you know, this has become a serious problem, especially in the wake of 2017 with the massive deplatforming that happened. And, you know, that has had a deforming effect, not only on our ability to reach other people, but I think it's had a, a, a terrible internal effect too, that basically, you know, you have this, this people are stuck in their telegram groups and their, and their gab echo chambers or whatever. And they're not, a lot of times the people are not being exposed to other ideas. They're not bouncing their ideas off of other people. And this leads to a lot of, uh, uh, a, 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 an advantage for the malcontents that I don't think would otherwise exist. You know, you're, you state as part of your mission here to try to, you know, break us out of that. And how do you believe that Antelope Hill uh, is advancing that goal? Well, honestly, I mean, it's it's a goal that we have. I, I, I don't know that we're doing anything as, as special uh, to contribute towards it. Uh, I mean, we we've we've gone undergone the campaign as i mentioned earlier somewhat recently of trying to reach out people like yourself and uh, as anyone who have us on and uh, you know review a book uh, to just i guess make the this little community we have a, a little bit bigger um but uh, uh yeah. yeah i mean i you know i couldn't agree more uh, with what you're saying and it's it's amazing to me like how little people talk to each other in this sort of sphere anymore. It's like everyone talks to the same like dozen people, just yeah. these tiny little micro ghettos. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's really bad. And I, I certainly agree with you about the horrific internal effect that has had on the sort of general culture and attitudes that people are, are showing right now. And, and, is- and it, it really it's the biggest challenge that I think we're facing as much currently. as social media generally is a, is a, uh, sociological problem uh and sickness in many ways i do think that there are certain you know for this specific discussion uh, there are certain platforms that are worse than others mm. and uh telegram's got to be about one of the worst uh because it is it, it lends itself towards small isolated uh you know very internally focused groups that uh, whereas something like Twitter is much more public and you know has a lot more uh, accessibility, it still has its little cross, clicks, but yeah. all of those people are talking in, in public right. for the most part, and, and there's cross pollination of ideas yeah. and so on. Uh, you know, I I think the the best thing that we're in a position to do is like, well, I guess to to back up a little bit, one of my big inspirations for for involving myself in this. Um, was how much Arctos especially impacted me back in like 2016. Um, you know, I was, I was always a big reader. I, I liked history and philosophy and all that kind of stuff. And so when I found Arctos and I was like, 
you know, wow, finally, I found some some people who are of a like mind to me who are actually putting out stuff, you know, that I can I can sink my teeth into, right? Not just internet posts, not just yeah. videos or or even podcasts or whatever. Like I was a very visual learner. I wanted like I wanted to get into Julius Evola and and Nietzsche and all kinds of of niche stuff like that. Um, and my hope is that whenever the next big wave of enthusiasm comes back around, and I think it will, um, for for you know political stuff, that we can help to just draw in more people like that who are intellectually curious and you know want to really get into this and sink their teeth into it and equip themselves for this sort of ideological struggle that they want to participate in. Well, I mean, it, you mentioned, I'm asking about trying to break out of the echo chamber. You mentioned coming on a show like this one, and I'm glad that you came on. I'm enjoying the conversation. But are you doing any more mainstream advertising or promotion? Are you are you actually, uh, is the company trying to market in any way outside of our, our political and social circle? So we, we limitedly, and we're basically, what we started doing is we're reaching out to uh, the I guess the the fringes of this circle, you know, on the side of, I guess the the more oh thanks you know, what, what back in the, well, what what back in the day <laughs> would have been called light right uh, the the term's kind of dead now but yeah I think you Trump land basically yeah yeah, yeah uh, the Trump Christmas land um, <laughs> uh, like trying to trying to see if we can worm our way into into some of those uh, circles. Uh, I mean, we've got some, some, you know, we've got Reich nationalist who's you know, mentioned he was on Tucker. He's got uh, a little bit more of a mainstream following. So, mm-hmm. so we've been sort of leveraging that in our good I think relationship he does with it, him. He does it in a positive way too, where mm-hmm. he's not really sacrificing the message. No, because right? obviously we want to avoid that at all. Costs. Yeah, and and then and then uh, we've got like American regime has gotten some good traction and like sort of, I guess, otherwise normie Trump circles because mm-hmm. it's a, a book about the, the J6 from the perspective of J6 pr- a prisoner and what he under- has come to understand about, you know, American politics, but uh, basically superficially the fact that it's a J6 uh, prisoner is, uh, has been, has been enough to, to break into that a little bit. Um, so trying to lean into those uh, fissures that, that we've already sort of made in the wall between us and uh, and the, you know, I guess more normy uh, right wing uh, is uh, that's that's our start, at least. Um, it, if I could just maybe I'll just drop the suggestion. I mean, it seems to me that you're in a position to buy regular advertisements. I mean, there's you know, whether it's uh, I, I would hope that the distribution companies that you're working with to get you on Amazon or, you know, there's some kind of promotional budget to get the, the books boosted there. You know, oh, a no, Google AdWords or, you know, even Facebook. Do you guys, are you guys, do you have a yeah. presence on Facebook? So we have actually, we have done all that. Uh, we, we've, we've spent uh, a good amount of money in, on uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and Google advertisements. And, uh you know, there are certain metrics that you have, you have clicks, you, you know, like our website has, has its own analytics and things like that. So we can see, you know, the effect of that. And it's basically nothing. Um, yeah. it, unfortunately, I think generally mainstream ads, even if even targeted ones like Facebook uh, and Twitter that you can like, you know, select your demographic are kind of dead because people are so desensitized to advertising that they, that they generally, Especially for something that's not all that flashy, like a book, 
mm-hmm. like the, you know when was last time even you people that buy books yeah even people know? that buy books don't click on ads for books right um you and go so the that's store and look around yeah um so we, we we've given it a shot you know it's it's definitely it's not something we haven't considered um but no uh yeah our also our, our redistributors do nothing for us other than basically provide like layers of of like account uh you know socks the and business identities to to get the same book back on amazon it's it's ridiculous but but yeah that they're they're not doing anything for us okay. i do really think you know for for us and also for a lot of other just kind of creators um you know it's it's been tougher in the last few years mm-hmm. and, and that i think really just has to do with the public enthusiasm or lack thereof for for political subjects um, I'm gonna be honest. I I still think it's also. Uh, I mean, not still. I I think it, that a big part of it also has to do with the fact that people are just back to work from COVID. You know, work from home. A lot of companies are going back to work, and also between interest rates and the general slowing of the economy, uh, people just have less money to spend on consumer engagements. You know, I I don't I don't know that there's less people tuning in. I think there's just less money coming in. Um, generally, yeah. I think it might be both, but I think there's definitely less people tuning in across the board. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, there was uh, the decreased, you know, distribution through social media, and of course, uh, you know, whenever whenever money's tighter, then you know, people have less to spend on uh, on on their intellectual and entertainment pursuits for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And so, what about like networking in the industry? You guys uh, are you uh, you go to? I don't I don't know anything about the publishing industry. I, I've been a podcaster, and I've only just started thinking of myself as a as a book author. Um, is there? You guys go to like trade conferences, anything like that? Is there inroads <laughs> no, with the industry that you have a target to make? No. Um, so the thing is, the the reality is, like I mean, it, it's you know we're we're like the neighborhood bank trying to. You know, like you don't go to the banking conference with JP Morgan Chase. Yeah, Yeah, like like you know, like there there are basically like five publishers that dominate like ninety nine percent of the existing industry, and it really is like it's it's incredibly monopolized, and whatever is outside of that tends to be very niche subject area stuff, kooky nonsense. Who are those five publishers? Oh, geez, Penguin, Penguin. Maxwell, there's Max. Yeah. uh, is Random uh, House part of? I think Penguin is Random that's House. The problem now. with coming up with these names is like they all, <laughs> yeah, they, they all like own each other, and like any name that you can think of is probably owned by a bigger company uh, on top of it. Um, so I no, I don't know off the top of my head. And so I mean, you know, what's the what's the strategy for trying to compete with these guys? Uh, basically, I mean, to to print stuff they won't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's sort of the long and short of it. Um, you know, we do a good bit of, of uh, coordination with other publishers like us. Yeah. Um, As mentioned, we have a good relationship with Arctos and, and pretty much all the other ones, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Imperium. Uh, so, I mean, how do, how do Arctos and Imperium, you know, react to like, hey, you know, we're trying to do this thing and you guys come and button, button in on our business. Uh, you say you have a good relationship with them, though? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. we, we yeah. The, I mean, we tend to be differentiated enough from each other yeah. that we're not really stepping on toes. And there's, you know, there's a general agreement also to not publish things that someone else it's already not, has published. Yeah, it's not my responsibility. But uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm a, I know there's I think there's like a, a Twitter group that, that uh, uh, if 
might, it might be Telegram now. I'm not sure. Uh, that, that like you know everybody posts like all the publishers post their their future books in just to make mm-hmm. sure nobody's you know publishing the same one. Uh, so I hope that's not a trade secret I just released. Uh, it's a pretty simple <laughs> idea though. Um, well, you know, it, it, um, I, I suppose the deals with the different authors might vary. Do you take um, do, do you do you establish exclusive? Do you, do you, does the author maintain his intellectual property rights? Or is, are you buying the the intellectual property rights of the books? Oh, so sure. typically what we're doing is is we're just um, we're basically buying a license from them for a set period of years. Um, it's almost always exclusive. Uh, but we don't we don't take ownership of the intellectual property rights. Okay, um, just a license. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and even when you get into that and the the legalities of that kind of stuff, it's honestly it's it's tough to enforce, and it's usually not worth doing it that way, even if we were so inclined. Okay, um, what about audiobooks? You doing audiobooks? Yeah, yeah, we've got a, a good catalog of audiobooks. Um, uh, in his own words, uh, uh, the um, I think that's Bernie, the, the that's the book of Hitler speeches. Yeah, um, the I happen to know a very person. talented voice artist with a very expensive microphone. I'll, uh, I'll oh, put you in touch okay. with him. Well, uh, uh, I mean, we'll have he has to a rich, buttery it. voice that everybody loves listening to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we've we've done sort of like you know celebrity audiobooks before. Yeah, we have you Gentiles read and... by Morocco. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's too good to pass up. Yeah, no, I believe that was my idea. But um, the yeah, so I mean, we've got yeah, we, we've got a good catalog. I I think it's probably about uh, six or seven um, audiobooks that that we have now for our catalog um, uh, that are that are pretty good quality. You know, I I think they. Um, they're very listenable. Now, yeah, I think when I, when I da- when I bought um, when I bought in his own words from you guys, I I got the EPUB was made available as a as a pretty free download. It, you guys don't do any sort of like you know with the Kindle, you basically have a digital rights management uh, product and evolved in that. You guys don't offer that, right? No, no. I mean it's 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 not worth it. You yeah. know, the the second a uh, a scanner digital copy gets out on the internet. You know, you can find it if you're determined enough. Yeah. Um, when if I, you, you know, in my work with um, like licensing intellectual property for for my shows, like there's there's like performers' rights organizations, and and they'll register like you know even just a few chords of music will trigger a thing like a like a recognition on something like YouTube. You don't you don't have anything like that. Uh, no, okay. um, I think I think we have explored uh, them, and they were either uh prohibitively difficult to set up or, or prohibitively expensive um so I'm not- yeah i think the main thing is we'd have to be actually selling more volume to make it worth yeah the, right. the enforcement costs and, and to um, be i mean the piracy on the internet today like uh, frankly the, the biggest thing that that saved um uh internet or you know, digital media uh is is twofold in my opinion um well, one uh, the general incompetence of uh, and laziness of the next generation of people that like, you know, uh, like people over the age of like 27, uh, at 26, 27, 
knew how to like operate torrents people under that age don't and yeah. and like that yeah they're they'd rather just spend the money because it's more convenient to, for them <laughs> that's kind of an interesting phenomenon i think you know i am fully immersed in all of the torrents and the peer-to-peer -peer stuff and uh i think that you're 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 right that like i talk to younger people about that and they're like what the hell are you talking about you know <laughs> like i just download my music from itunes or whatever for, yeah you know um and so that's kind of like an that seems to have uh, uh, fallen out of fashion, say. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm like thinking back to, you know, when I would pirate music or whatever, and it's like you had to have the wire. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. like after that, one of the things that I would do is go uh, find like the YouTube music video, yeah, do, do download YouTube the MP3, yeah. Like, know, go, go but then, but then you know it wouldn't have the album art. So I'd have to actually <laughs> go and drop okay. the album art. You're more so, autistic like, than me. <laughs> that level of effort is something that most people aren't willing to put no, in. I would, just I go wouldn't buy put it. that level of effort. That's because you're like a couple years older than me. That's why. I, <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I forgot that YouTube MP3 was a thing until most recently. What I did was because I wanted to listen to the Tucker Putin interview, but I was getting on a uh. plane that didn't have <laughs> Wi-Fi, and and I'm like, I'm like, I can't download the whole two hour long like high def video and i'm like oh, right youtube mp3 and so that's what i did uh youtube mp3 yeah i've made some use of the uh the youtube mp3 service myself and uh especially for archival purposes because you never know how long something's going to stay on youtube these days um mm -hmm. and so um what else guys well um i mean i i think that you know i uh I one of the things that I've always appreciated about you, uh, Chris, is that that you've not been uh, shy about the fact that you're running a business and that this is a you know that this is required to be sustainable. And unfortunately, I, I think that that there's a bit of a uh, cultural phenomena generally. With I think it might just be applicable to um, uh, any. Any a, a lot of media space uh, typically falls into this, but th this is a business, and, and if you if you like the the you know the content, if you like the service that you're receiving, then you know having uh, you know don't don't accuse people of being shills for for soliciting um, you know contributions, financial support, and uh, and you've always been you know pretty good about that. And I remember you going on TRS and like you know basically giving a pitch to <laughs> give those guys money, um, but. Uh, you know, uh, way back when this, this is, this is what we need to do to become serious. We need sustainable enterprises and institutions that can actually pay their own bills and, and, you know, make it worthwhile for the people that are, that are spending their time and sacrificing their, you know, personal reputations and, and livelihoods in many cases to, to stick around and keep, you know, spreading the word and, and maintaining the presence of these ideas um in the world and uh you know that's you know i i just I, wanted to yeah give i you think some that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a worthwhile point to to get into as a matter of fact you know um we we don't want to get into all the the weeds of it both of us have been the targets of bad actors and and mm -hmm. the bad actors do seem to have this very conspicuous habit of anybody who's trying to make money is the people mm -hmm. who they attack most they, they are they are instantly accused of being bad actors and grifters and and people yeah. start screaming shekels as if all things financial are jewish and it's like well as a matter of fact 
there's nothing worth doing that gets done without money, right? And, and what these people are fundamentally doing is saying that we should all remain the, the type of people who, who do things that are not worth anything is, is really what they're saying, aren't they? Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely it. And, and it's the, I think that whether it's conscious or not, you know, which I guess it depends on which, uh, you know, one of these bad actors you're talking about, but it doesn't really change the fact that like, in order to be serious about this, you know, we, we, we need to be professionals. And in order to be professionals, we need to have access to professional resources. And, and that requires professional, you know, compensation and, and income. And, you know, we, we, we can't expect all of our, you know, authors and editors and, and, you know, uh, graphic designers and proofreaders uh, to, to work for free you know therefore we can't we can't give these books out for free and uh you know we we spend a lot of our time that we could be doing other things uh working on this so so you know in order to sustain our own uh livelihoods and and uh uh existences we we need compensation and and the fact that that's a dirty subject i think is unfortunate um generally yeah and i mean you know it's sort of a, a more general point it's like weaponizing but basically amounts to just jealousy mm-hmm. like that is like that's one of the enemy's greatest tools right if they can if they can just make you fight each other over shit like that and and crab bucket each other then then they never actually have to do anything you'll, right you'll do it for them yeah, yeah. i uh, i had brought up I, I i've read this on the show a couple of times you know there was a feature there was a there was a paper published in the journal nature uh, which is an interesting place to publish such a thing um, about a strategy for defeating white nationalism. And the idea was literally to insert fake social media users to um, to try to uh, play on the differences between various right wing groups and get them to attack one another. And, and this was articulated in a strategy, I want to say, in 2018. And, you know, what what becomes obvious when you when you start thinking about the, the strategy of the people who come after us and, and their their really terrible habit of bragging about what they do is that this is not something that they were contemplating. This is something that they had done to, and, and to tremendous effect. And of course, once it was, you know, then publicly made, you know, publicly put out there, then the idea that they would not begin to pursue that is preposterous. And I've become convinced that, you know, I, I've, I mentioned to you, I think I, I think we said, that I said this off the recording, you know, one of the things that constantly happens, my listeners are very familiar with, you know, there's always people trying to stoke conflict between me and the guys at TRS. You know, they understand that on some level we're business competitors and that, you know, there's a, that there's a, um, uh, 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 there's an incentive to attack one's business competitor, right? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to participate in that at all because I know exactly what it is that you're doing, and that's actually not in my best interest. It's not in my best interest. I'm not going to gain anything by attacking these guys. And so, like, the, you know, these people try to stoke conflict. They try to stoke the internecine conflict with the with the full knowledge that we can do more damage to each other than the ADL could ever attempt to. And, mm-hmm. you know, that that uh, that phenomenon is is sadly uh, it's it works entirely too well to their advantage. And so I've been, you know, tried to make a point not to uh, not to engage, you know, um, you know, with with notable exceptions, as some people I do believe are just so disreputable that they they need to be called out. But it really needs to rise to a very high level for me to. 
for me to engage in that. And when you see that, you know, some of these people who devote their the most amount of time to it, it's conspicuous. It's it's always they're always going after people who are trying to make money because, you know, that's how things that's that's the measurement of your success in large part. You're either going to be winning elections or you're going to be deriving revenue. And outside of that, you know, what? how are you measuring your success? How are you de- de- determining if you're succeeding? You know, you, you get more. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, right? And then, exactly. <laughs> Some of these people also, I mean, they have insane ideas of what running a business looks like. Yeah. Like, this, well, no idea of what fun yeah, is. <laughs> The book printer does not double as a money printer. Yeah. Like, we're not rolling <laughs> it over here. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. I, I did love uh, uh, seeing Antifa gloating uh, simultaneously, or not gloating, uh, claiming simultaneously that we are exploiting all of our you know workers and, and contractors for unreasonable amounts of gain. Also, like right on the edge of bankruptcy because of like you know a like very depleted like at the same time these both Mm -hmm. of these things are true like we are extracting money that doesn't exist from a company that's failing you know at the expense of the the well it's also it's also like another basic you know sort of small business 101 thing which is that when you're the owner of a business everybody else gets paid before you Mm -hmm. yeah that's how it works yes no getting around it yeah um, and I mean, my, yeah, uh, I mean, and, but that that's, it's, it's why it's important to do because, mm-hmm. because people need to get over this thing that like, you're, you're not going to convince your boss to, to be a WN, uh, not until the financial system changes. And that's not going to change until, until there's real, you know, independence and a real footing for for self-conscious uh racially aware white people in this country and and that's not going to happen without a you know an economic base of of support and and that's not going to happen without people that are willing to be professional business owners and uh you know and have and maintain these these kinds of enterprises and and for that matter if you did convince your boss to become a white nationalist he would probably not set his bank account on fire and open up the doors of his business and tell the looters to come in and take everything right he he would he would then try to leverage his business success in pursuit of those things that he values right and like that's that's what i think is the big joke about this they they act like they they act as though money um they act as though money is a is a is a dilution it is a it is a contamination of the thing mm-hmm. when it is not that at all you know if if people are doing things that are disreputable then then you know it, that's it's not unusual for people to do disreputable things for money of course it's not in any way unique to white nationalism or politics generally but you know the the question is the disreputable behavior they, they act like the money is evidence of disreputable behavior and that is obviously yeah. not the case i don't know anybody who's getting rich at white nationalism all the people <laughs> who i know who make any money at white nationalism are people who are infinitely more capable you know that that they could make infinitely more money if they went into some other line of work and they're choosing instead to devote their lives to that cause or whatever portion of their lives they are donate they, that they are contributing to it right in, in order to try to do that you know i've made a lot more money <laughs> in other fields than i have at a, as at being a podcaster and i've worked better hours for fucking sure you know and <laughs> and i do this thing because i because i value it highly enough to do it and so when people come around they're like oh it's a grifter he calls the it's some low-life piece of shit 
um, uh, lied about me and said that I view my uh, that I view my listeners as pay piggies is the term they like to throw around, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. you, you know, like if I wanted to go hustle people, like like if I wanted if I wanted to steal money. <laughs> like I could go and steal money better than this, right? If I wanted to be a crook, what the fuck would I? Wh- why would I do this? Yeah. You know, I could I could steal so much more efficiently, right? I could talk fucking circles around people. If I want to be a fucking con man, believe me, you know, I go tell more pleasant lies than these for fuck's sake, you know. And like <laughs> these people are out of their fucking minds, and it's like they, you know, they're they're preying on a certain. And you could almost make the case they're doing us a favor in a sense, right? Because the only people who would fall for that nonsense are are people who are like, you know, they're not they're not the type of people who would really be, you know, positive contributors in any case, right? Like, you know, yeah. they're they're preying yeah. on this sort of paranoid, I believe the worst about everything, which is what led me here in the first place. They're like, I have some, you know, paranoid mm-hmm. need to explain everything evil in the world and, and the Jews make a make a make a comfortable fit for that and therefore I'm going to join this thing. And then, oh well, of course the Jews are everywhere and in everything, especially in white nationalism, and so I'm just gonna call everybody a fucking Jew and a swindler. And like, well, those people actually probably wouldn't have contributed anything at all, would they? They, they? They're not, they're, they are of a certain mind where failure is the default. Everything is a scam. Everything is fake. And, and the idea that anything could be successful is preposterous to them. So the idea that somebody's making money is like, oh, well, there's obviously something nefarious happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I think you're, you you got it. The, the failure is is failure is the end. The you know the only that's thing, what they're here for. Yeah, the, the, their their job is just to come up with the question mark, question mark, question mark prior to failure. You know. Yeah, yeah. There you or, go. You exactly. know, and, and there's a certain type of person that just enjoys like you know they they thrive on just constant negative energy. You know, like they just they have to be fucking something they yeah. have to be making something worse for someone else it's be causing frustration you know yeah. it's it's, and, it's pe- and people are drawn to this thing because uh i think that i, I said this to you but i think we did it before the, the show had started it's an observation i've made you know more than a couple of times on here that you know there's people who come into this thing understanding that okay these are actually like virtuous positive things that these guys are pursuing and they're being maligned and therefore i want to join this fight and then there's other people who see all the bad things that are said about us and they're like wow that's terrible i'm a terrible person i would love to get involved in something that awful you know and that's a real that's a real phenomenon that you know i i I think it it creates blood drive isn't something i should join well, you know, I'm. I would. I, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to decline to say anything negative about those guys. But I certainly don't. I don't advise anybody to go cut their hand on a spear and go to Ukraine for fucking sure. You know, uh, I would say that. You know, uh, you know, in my talk with Hammer, uh, I think that you know he came across as a sincere guy who's sincerely misguided. Personally, is my opinion of it. But you know, you got to imagine that he's probably surrounded by some fucking crackpots, right? And so, like, you know, one of the things that I realized was, like, I tried to do, you know, an edgy show, right? And I appreciated that in part because, you know, a lot of my artistic influence was, like, the Opie and Anthony show, right? And so I was like, oh, when I when I first got into this thing, I was like, oh, well, you know, people will call me a racist, but I don't fucking care because I like offending people. It was kind of, you know, part of my motives when I started getting in. I didn't really understand the ideas when I first came in. And then, you know, as I started to, you know, appreciate them more fully, like, you know, trying to portray them as offensive became less appealing to me frankly you know i was like no these are actually like positive virtuous things and you know we should probably try to portray them that way 
And, you know, that's a, that's a little bit of a difficult thing for me to do because, you know, before I was doing this, I was, you know, like I said, inspired by Opie and Anthony. I was, you know, doing stand-up comedy in New York for a little while, and I was, like, telling fucking dick jokes and shit, you know. <laughs> and so, like, you know, uh, trying to change that perception, I mean, I guess that sort of goes to one of the things that we mentioned in the email was, you know, trying to make it more approachable, you know. And I, I, I don't know exactly how to do that. I've been trying to synthesize it. And, you know, one of the things that I realized in the course of it is like, well, you know, there's people who have tuned in for all this like edgy conflict, you know, and then you're like, well, you know, we're going to have to try to rebrand a little bit. And you, you end up with sort of like, you know, you end up with a revolt on your hands and people are like, no, I want to remain in conflict and, and terror forever, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, there's that's you can you can obtain a certain amount from that you know that that like edgy persona where you're the you're the rebel bad guy and and maligned by everybody and you're in constant conflict will you know appeal to a certain segment of the population but of course this this eventually puts a a hard upper limit on how much that you can accomplish and and to escape that upper limit you know you have to you have to start appearing respectable to people at some point right i mean uh, the the big thing for me is just like okay i realized that that you know, there's there's some fantastic people in this movement, and there's also some like absolute, like, you some know, real pieces of shit. Yeah, and and <laughs> I'm like, okay, so maybe we should gear our like our approach to cult or not cult to to target the audience of the people we want to be in the movement. You know, like like let's make let's make a company and and a persona and a professional image that 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 is geared towards the 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 population of people we hope are here that we know that there are some of that we want there to be more of and i think that that's that's you know especially for media and content creation that's you know that's that's kind of the the long and the short of it is is make content geared towards and speaking to the population of people we want to be you know pro in the pro-white movement Mm-hmm. That's an interesting take. Now, you know, you had mentioned sort of making inroads with the with the MAGA crowd, the MAGA set, as I like to call them sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, what was at one point called the alt light, and you know, the now I do think that there's a certain convergence has happened as a consequence of the January sixth thing, where like you know, they the, some people I understand. I wasn't you know on social media to to catch all the cultural references at the time, but you know that that you know they were looking at it. There, there was a lot of um, overlap in the perceptions between January 6th and Charlottesville when, when they started saying, like, look, these people are totally maligning us about what happened. And, and the way they're coming after us is really not a, a, a regular. This is not regular lawful order, you know, and it, it seems to me that that event when these people started, you know, finding themselves thrown in prison and having all these legal consequences thrown at them sort of it didn't turn them into nazis or whatever but they they started realizing that like oh the fact that the government goes puts a bunch of people in jail actually doesn't mean that they're the bad guys after all at the very least right yeah 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 what what do you think about i mean you know there was a lot of hostility and and there still is in large part you know in the you know the explicit white nationalists versus people like say um you know mike cernovich or jordan peterson you know, it seems to me if you're trying to make inroads with the with the MAGA crowd that, you know, that these are people that you'd want to be on good terms with. What? How do you view that sort of spectrum? Well, there, I mean, OK, so I think that there are two sets of people there. There are people that that like, you know, who are genuinely um, 
I guess, on the edge of, of you know, holding these beliefs or maybe that they, they do hold stronger beliefs than they actually have. And then, then you have people like Ben Shapiro and, and I have to include Jordan Peterson as well. That, that yeah. people that know better and they know that, that their responsibility is to be a uh, you know a, 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 a an impediment to people coming to similar views a gatekeeper yeah, you know a to gatekeeper. use the popular term um and so i mean they're i mean you know, peterson like someone someone like him it's you know whether it's genuine or not and sometimes i'm truly baffled by some of the things that he says but like you can't you can't reach that person Right, no. like he's he has decided sort of where he sits on things, and it's not even in a position where it can be complementary to ours. It is resolutely opposed, and but, but that's not the case for a lot of these people. Yeah, and and even if they themselves aren't like ever swayable, like having a dialogue, having an engagement, whatever level is permissible, whatever level that these people basically allow, um, is in my opinion uh, always a positive. Uh, amount of, of, of exposure that they can produce you know is is valuable um and i mean it's not always necessarily by name it's you know they don't need to be shilling the radical agenda on on the daily wire anything like that but oh um, uh, you know yeah. but what if <laughs> uh, unless hey um, if candace owens just wants to go call out magnus hirschfeld then you know yeah, i'll, I'll yeah. grant her a lot of fucking leeway and, yeah. and <laughs> I mean, you got i mean you get charlie kirk and of elon musk for that matter like you know saying a lot of uh, stuff about you know mass immigration and, and white replacement yeah. you know it's, it's easy to forget sometimes but it really is true that most of these people are just a few years behind them yeah that's the th that's um, one of the things that i've realized and i mean like you know i'm not intimately familiar with all the things that jordan peterson has said like i i read two of his books you know um um uh 12 rules and then beyond order 12 more rules i, I read both of those or i listened to the audiobooks when i was in jail and you know i think that it what i know of jordan peterson has been largely positive one thing that stands out in my mind was uh, he had this talk when I was still on house arrest down in Virginia, and there was somebody who asked him about the the tra the Russian translation of um, 200 Years Together by Solzhenitsyn and, mm -hmm. you know, what that might, you know, the reflections that that has on the, the issue of the Jewish question. And he sort of like paced back and forth on the stage three or four times and then just turned around and said, I can't, you know. And so, like, to me, that, that tells me that he actually is aware of the subject. I mean, he's told us before that he studied, you know, that he studied authoritarianism in World War II. So, I mean, it, it seems to me that he's got the intellectual curiosity to know. Um, it, it seems that a reasonable, it, it, it's my estimation that a reasonable person could know the things that we know and come to the conclusion that, you know, trying to take on you know, racial anti-Semitism is actually not a winning strategy. And a person could in good faith reach that conclusion and, and try to negotiate that, you know, that political reality. Um, you guys see that Jordan Peterson uh, is specifically taking a, 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 a less reputable approach than that? Well, so, the, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm a, a little bit more maybe uh, of a personal uh, note to this because I, 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 I really liked Jordan Peterson. Like when he first started coming on the scene, I liked a lot of what he was saying, and um, uh, you know, and then then I mean, he was in some ways he was actually an introduction for me into uh, these. Me too. These, yeah. So I, you know, I, I I feel personally, frankly, betrayed by him because 
if he could have known that one he had an audience he had a platform he could have made a, a, a name for himself independent of ben shapiro and yet he voluntarily chose to go work for that guy and and i don't know what calculation make that that makes that math add up you know you know Absolutely. i think that um I guess working for Ben, working for the Daily Wire is conspicuous in the extreme. I'll, I'll grant you that, you know, especially as you mentioned, you know, he had everything going for him that he didn't need to do it. But, you know, you guys being involved in the business end of, of this, you know, you, you think about a guy who just wants to be an intellectual. He doesn't want to deal with the business end of something. Right. You know, like like dealing with the, the, the issues of payment oh, processors man. and making sure that, oh, I got the platform from here. What do I do now? I mean, I, I suppose he could have hired agents and, you know, done his own yeah. thing. But, you know, the, the <laughs> management, you know, the management overhead of trying to be an independent actor is actually not, you know, it's not insignificant. Right. Uh, you know, I Wait. wish that all I had to do was like prepare content for the show. The show would be a lot better and I might produce it five days a week, you know, trying to run mm -hmm. the business and deal with all the goddamn bullshit on top of it. It's like, you know. Uh, and maybe he could have chosen a better outfit from the Daily Wire, but I know that you know they there was a what what they offered fucking you know Stephen Crowder fifty million fucking dollars or whatever it was you know and mm -hmm. you know and he, and and he and he called that a fucking you know uh, some kind of uh, uh, well I don't think he used an anti-Semitic reference but he might as well have right? <laughs> you know <laughs> so, um, yeah you know. So I don't know, but you know, as you mentioned, you know, Jordan Peterson was really influential on me. Like I was sort of like at the edge of like, you know, of libertarianism and, and, and explicit white nationalism. And I was sort of like toying with, you know, racial themes on the show. And I was really like, I've told him that story many times that, you know, there's this interview that he did. It was like two and a half hours long or something. Where he was talking about like religion and stuff. And, you know, I'm not a religious guy and this is not a religious thing for me, but, you know, sort of the way he described ideas and, and, and how they evolve and this sort of thing. He, he, he basically gave an evolutionary explanation for, you know, religious thought, I, I think is probably the best way that I can short briefly articulate it. And it, and it gave me a new appreciation for that. And that made me feel like, more connected, you know, to my people throughout time is probably the best way I could describe it in the moment. And like, that was hugely influential. And so like, when I see there's this element of white nationalism that is like, if you're not naming the Jew, you you are one, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's like, you know, as a guy who's fucking suffered tremendously for doing that, I'm like, I have to understand that there's more prudent people in the world than I who are like, I'm not going <laughs> to go through that fucking shit. You're goddamn crazy. Like, I can do so much better if I'm a millionaire, you know? Yeah, I get it. I get it. But like, you know, when you get to the point where, where you're financially obligated to shill for the state of Israel, uh, like, like you know, uh, Mr. Shapiro has found himself, or uh, sorry, Dr. Peterson found himself uh, doing most recently, you got to wonder whether you made the right choice. I, I, you know, I, like if you truly do understand those things or at any level, like, I don't know, like there is, I think there's, you're, you're referencing something that I'm only peripherally aware of that probably people who weren't in prison for the last three years have more consciousness of. So like he, he is like, he's gone and done things oh, yeah, that are outwardly cucky. It's not that he's just failing yeah, to yeah. name the Jew. He's like, no, he's like, Oh, no, you know, no, our no, greatest no, ally yeah. nonsense. He's probably embracing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he did the whole bit with the yarmulke and, 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 and everything. <laughs> 
it's it's kind of sad, you know. Um, that's pretty. Yeah, fucking and, funny. and he never did that before. And this yeah. is what it, like like yeah. that's the thing. Exactly. He was never like like a big rah rah like Israel boomer before getting hired by you know paying. <laughs> I'm sure you're right. I'm sure it's probably a hundred million dollars the yeah. contract. You know, and, and yeah, maybe that softens the blow. Maybe it makes it a little easier. You know, you get first class plane ticket to I don't Wailing Wall. You know, did it, but I still can't condone it. Yeah, uh, but you know, so I don't know. Um, but I mean, th there are other people that that like have that. Um, like, 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 seriously, like Charlie Kirk. I mean, for as many goofy things as he's ever done and said, like, oh, no, I've he's, been he's pleasantly, been on fire lately. I've been pleasantly surprised well. by a lot of uh, how he's been. Uh, yeah, like, and and I don't really care whether he's doing it cynically or not because it doesn't matter. Because what it's representative of is two things: one, evidence that we have been successful, or at the very least, they have been unsuccessful in controlling the the white population and, and white uh consciousness in, in the west and two that that he feels pressured and they wouldn't be doing this if they if if that this wasn't at least a rear guard action to try and prevent people from like seeking out places that are going to give a line narrative and both of those are good things yeah. i i would I say so too you know it it, it is it, that's the other like silly attack avenue like attacking people for being like a johnny come lately or something and it's like well you know do you want them to come or not stupid fuck like you know like, do you want to do you want to bring these people on board or do you just want to remain do you just want to be a fucking hipster and be like no i was here before you you guys can't be white nationalists now because you weren't bleeding in charlottesville with me and it's like no dude like you know the people who weren't bleeding with you in charlottesville are the, the people who you should be trying to fucking recruit because they're most of the population shit at you know, so like, you know, trying to get the, the the fact that we do see these things, even if we see them imperfectly, you know, we mentioned Elon Musk sort of, you know, he, he tweeted about Robert Rundo the other day, you know, he's talked about, as you say, replacement, um, you know, but then, you know, they, they managed to, they managed to drag him to Israel and put the fucking hat on him too, <laughs> yeah. you know, right. like, you know, which you got, you know, uh, Tucker Carlson once said, which I, what I think was pretty insightful. There's no such thing as f u money. There's only f u poverty, right? You got that yeah. much fucking money floating around. You've got, you know, you just spent forty billion dollars to buy some failing fucking website called Twitter, and 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 now you owe banks all this fucking money. And then the Jews are like, you know, um, maybe you want to come uh, stop by the homeland. Uh, maybe go uh, say a prayer against this wall. Put this hat on. Why don't you? You know, <laughs> you know. And and he's like, well. well He's, he, yeah, yeah, you know, it's a fashion statement. It's no big deal. You know, it's not, you know. When, he did say when, he was aspirationally Jewish. I at, guess he just got to, you know, inspired. At, at, at yeah, some point, we'll all make them wear fucking crucifixes through their fucking hands and feet. In the meantime, you know, they're going to put hats on a couple of people. Uh, whoa, that's that's a little edgy for this iteration of the radical agenda. But, um, you know, in, in the interim, you know, I'm, I'm inclined to grant, grant people a lot of fucking leeway. You know, I'm so encouraged, you know. I think about what politics were like in 2012, right? When Mitt Romney is the best that the fucking Republican Party can do, right? And like, and and Ron Paul is is the Ron Paul is the aspirational <laughs> goal, right? You know, and, and so like, 
you know, then we get to the point where, you know, I was skeptical of Donald Trump in 2016. I'm like, well, you know, you're not talking about free market economics or enough. You didn't even mention Ludwig von Mises, you know, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. and I'm like, well, wait a second, you know, and then they're like totally turned the fucking between that and the shit that was going on in Europe at the time, like totally red pilled me to the immigration thing and sent me down this fucking rabbit hole. Right. And so, like, you know, people people don't usually come in this because somebody dropped a copy of Mein Kampf on their fucking desk, right? It's like, you know, there's some chain of events that leads to it. And whoever, you know, is along that path, I, I consider them, you know, you know, generally not worthy of my enmity at the very least, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good policy. And, and uh, you know, frankly, I wish other people would sort of maybe take a cue and, uh, uh also kind of start being a little bit more charitable to uh you know maybe people like charlie kirk yeah i i, I was just, listening to charlie kirk his it's show not, not aired him, one episode i don't know how often he actually does his show but there was actually when i was in when i was in the prison in marion illinois his show aired once a week on saturdays and i was under the impression that it was like a replay like a best of or something um, and so like, I listened to a few episodes of it and I, I wasn't expecting to like it. I was like, Charlie fucking Kirk, what a fucking faggot. And then like, I listened to a couple episodes. I was like, I didn't know that this is what Charlie Kirk talked about on the radio. And then I come to find out more recently that like he hired the guy who got fuck, who got fired from Tucker Carlson. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. that makes yeah. The guy that got fired from Tucker Carlson for saying the N word on, on 4chan. Uh, he, it was, I, I know it was online posts. I don't know if it was 4chan or not, but that would make sense. He was basically like they, I remember the news coverage when I was in, when I was, I was still in the county jail when that, that story broke. And it was basically like, you know, one of his writers got fired for, you know, ra racist and misogynist online posts. And, uh, yeah, I think it was and then he went on to go work for Charlie fucking Kirk of all people. I was like, that's fucking hilarious, you know, and Starting then to make a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the daily beast was, they wrote, I went over on the show, the daily beast wrote a piece about how Charlie Kirk was about to go and attack Martin Luther King, you know? And it was so fucking funny that they, you know, they're they're like, it's because of that Blake Neff guy who used to work at Tucker Carlson and turning Charlie Kirk into a Nazi. And I was like, oh well, you know, you know, and and you think about it, you know, Tucker Carlson, you know, Tucker Carlson's, I think, had a bigger influence on our politics than Donald fucking Trump did, right? He he gets his show basically as a consequence of Donald Trump, right? And then like he completely transforms our politics and then a guy gets fired from there goes works for charlie kirk and so like you know this these are these chains of events that bring us to this point where like you know that that people are you know they're not running around fucking throwing fucking romans for goddamn sure but they've fucking had it with what's going on you know and that you know in my view is a lot better than we could have fucking asked for in 2014 much less 2016 and so, like, yeah. the whole fucking thing is completely changed. You know, when we were, when, when, you know, one of the things that sold me on, you know, this was like, you know, the TRS guys talked about the Overton window and, and, you know, mm -hmm. you know, sort of like, I took a position in the early stages of, you know, the radical agenda of, of like, okay, well, maybe I'll stake out positions that are maybe more extreme than I ultimately want to try to like, you know, like move the, move the range of allowable opinion was sort of like a, a strategy that I embraced for a period of time and like, you know, trying to, 
change the window of allowable discussion. Well, the stuff that like is talked about on like fucking Fox and Friends for Christ's sake. Forget about Tucker Carlson. You know, like you know, Fox and Friends talks about shit that you couldn't imagine. You know, Rush Limbaugh talking about in 2012. So like, you know, it, it's. I think that things have, are actually like really good. And when I see people all black pilled about what's going on and everything's fucking hopeless, I'm like, you guys are fucking crazy. You know. It's it's like I think that we're in a better position than we've probably been in the last you know in, in name your number of decades, uh, and so I'm 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 hopeful for the future. I mean I think that obviously we've got you know we we face dire fucking circumstances. We've got dangerous enemies, and you know they're very determined and capable people with endless amounts of resources at their disposal. But when we watch them fuck up the way that they do, and we watch the way that our ideas have been taking hold. It's it's encouraging, and to see um, Antelope Hill out there putting these things, you know, in on the physical pages where Google can't delete them quite so easily, I think is a great thing. And so I really appreciate you guys taking the time tonight to be on the Radical Agenda. I've really enjoyed the conversation, and I'm honored to know that um, that uh, that I played some part in your inspiration for for going down here. I appreciate that tremendously. And um, I, I'm, uh, it's an honor to, uh, to have been able to speak with you guys. I'll let you guys, uh, whatever else you want to plug, let's, uh, let's do that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, thanks so much for having us. It was, it was uh, likewise, it was a pleasure on our end as well. Um, uh, one, one major thing to, to plug uh, is um, the writing contest. We have an annual writing contest. And uh, any, any listeners that uh, you know, fancy themselves penmans, uh, can can uh, head on over to the website and check out the the prompt this year is uh, thinking about Rome. Uh, so uh, you know it's you know you take take that and and interpret it as as typical with our writing contests, basically however you want. Um, and uh, for those who might not immediately get uh, it, it's it's the the whole um, TikTok thing. Oh, yeah. of, of the girls mm -hmm. asking their boyfriends how often they think about the Roman Empire. Yeah, sort of the inspiration for this. Um, <laughs> I saw something going on. About, I'm not on TikTok, but I, 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 I saw this like trending on Twitter that people were you know, the leftists were panicking about this. That people were thinking about the Roman Empire. They're like, no, white <laughs> supremacy. <laughs> It's, it is one of those things that just like it's like it feels ridiculous to even explain uh the, yeah <laughs> but uh no yeah so so that's that's uh you know is one of our favorite things that we do every is the writing contest you know we get to we have know. a lot of fun judging the entries and mm -hmm. there's always some really good ones usually a couple of pretty funny ones yeah um and just you know people have a good time with it so uh, how, with what frequency do you do these writing contests would you say Every it's year. yearly. Okay, it's so a yearly thing. Year, okay. We have we have three uh, right now. Three books, uh, you know, th uh, for twenty one, two, and three, and so this will be twenty twenty four. Um, uh, yeah, so we have a, a theme every year, and we compile um, the best of of all the submissions that we get and uh, print a physical uh, copy um, that's available, uh, just like all the rest of our books. Excellent. All right. Well, um, antelopehillpublishing.com, is it? Or is that is that accurate? I don't have the page up in front I, of me. I, I believe you're correct. Uh, let me just, I'll just make absolutely certain of that real quick. 
Um, no. It auto-completes. Come on, yeah, man. Yeah. Like, like, what centuries? But, well, you know, if yeah. you search for Antelope Hill Publishing, you're not going to end up, you know, you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll see them, you'll see the SPLC article on the first page of yeah. Google, but you'll also find the website. And, you know, yeah. there's always, you know, great comedic reading coming from uh, Mike Hayden over there. So you might, you might get a <laughs> kick out of it. Um, and so, uh, gentlemen, uh, Kurt Seidel and Paul Gualtieri, I'm sorry, you didn't correct my pronunciation no. did i say it right no, it's fine it's, it's the <laughs> it's, guy from it's pretty close it's the guy right. from the sopranos if kurt and the paul thank you very much for coming on the show today i really appreciated it um i'm going to uh hang up on you somewhat unceremoniously while i wrap up with the audience but i'll talk to you guys offline i appreciate it okay all right thank you so Absolutely. much have a good evening Thanks. all right thank take care guys and so ladies and gentlemen real quick don't hang don't go yet i'm not actually done yet you know we've been talking to these uh, guys who are publishers and I mentioned at the end of uh, Surreal Politiques last week that uh, I was going to do this again because I know that not everybody who listens to Surreal Politiques listens to the Radical Agenda. And so hopefully you've stuck with us to the end because I really want to share this with you. Um, I mentioned that I'm working on this other book about my uh, congressional race, and I wrote the dedication to that book to my parents. And I, have, um, I recorded this, and I sent it over to them, and uh, I have uh, created a shortened version of that um, the um, a, a shortened version of that recording to play on the show. I'm going to play that for you, and then I have some commentary on it when when we return. I'll be right back. Hey, mom, dad, it's your son, Chris. Hope things are going well. Hope you're having a good time in Florida. I'm writing a book about my congressional campaign in 2010. And so one of the things that I've got to do is I've obviously got to dedicate the book to somebody. And I've decided to dedicate this book to the two of you, all of which is to say that I have written this dedication today, and I think it came out very well. And rather than just send you the text and tell you what it is, I thought maybe I'll read it aloud to you. So here we go. Dedication. Some of my earliest memories are decidedly unhappy ones. Despite this, they constitute the greatest gifts given to me by my parents in the long history of extraordinary generosity they have shown me. My father participated in the Patco Union Strike of 1981, the Professional Air Traffic Controllers Organization. Less than one year after my birth, he had lost the job and the income that sustained our family in the upper middle class suburban neighborhood where I grew up on Long Island. Despite this hardship, there was no real debate about what to do when my mother found out she was pregnant with my younger brother. She dutifully and joyfully brought him into the world in the midst of all this uncertainty. My father referred to him with all affection as a strike baby, since he was conceived during the abundance of spare time my father had on his hands subsequent to that labor action. Not long after this, he crashed his motorcycle. He broke his hip and for a time was bedridden, relying primarily on my mother to care for him. To this very day, even after numerous surgeries, he hasn't walked quite the same ever since. As a consequence of this chain of events, my father would be very short on spare time in the following years. My parents had purchased their home in the neighborhood they had with the expectation of a prosperous and reliable career in government service. Now deprived of that security and determined to make sure my brother and I had the benefit of our mother at home to raise us, my father worked a number of different jobs at all hours. He also went back to school since the intense training to become an air traffic controller did not directly translate to other high-paying professions. 
Among the jobs he took was mowing other people's lawns. This began as just him with a lawnmower in the back of his Mercury Capri. Despite his injury, he grew this into a respected and profitable company. One complete with a crew, a large truck, and professional equipment. That was my first work experience in my youth. It proved priceless in my adulthood. It would sustain my family until Bill Clinton signed into law a bill that would allow my father and his fellow strikers to reapply for their jobs when I was in my late teens. My father has since proudly and honorably retired from that career which he loved, and he today resides with my mother in our childhood home. My father was relentless in providing for my family. He did this under very difficult circumstances. The pressure of this weighed on him, and he made more than a few errors. Despite his valiant efforts, my family had less money than a lot of the kids I went to school with. I did not get along very well with most of them. I made more than a few errors of my own, some of which, not entirely unlike those of my father, put me on the wrong side of the law more than once. But today, I am happy to know that a man, to be worthy of that noble title, must do what he believes to be the right thing, that he must do so, certain only of his own capacity for error, and that if he is made to suffer for those choices— He must do so with as little complaining as he can manage. Also, that a woman, to be worthy of that far higher distinction, must stick with him in the midst of an uncertain future, even when things do not look promising, though she is permitted and arguably obligated to lodge more in the way of complaints, without which men might stagnate and fail to reach their full potential. They never exactly told me these things, and since I was not in the habit of listening, it likely would not have done much good if they had. Rather, these things were demonstrated with the most remarkable consistency over the course of my entire life. This was simply the fabric of the world that I lived in, and I could no more deny it than that water was wet. Were it not for that firm foundation, the troubles I'd face over the years in my attempts to learn everything the hard way would surely have destroyed me. Or worse yet, and perhaps more likely, I'd have been too much of a coward to face them, in which case this story would never have happened, much less become a book. And so, obviously, I dedicate what you are about to read to Marianne and Charles Cantwell with gratitude for my creation, for their forgiveness of far too many of my sins and debts, and above all, for not turning me into a pussy. Christopher Cantwell, February 23rd, 2024. And so, I hope, uh, I hope that reached you well. It's written with the utmost sincerity, and I am, uh, I am very grateful for all that you've done for me. Thank you. And so, you know, there's a number of reasons I wanted to play that for you and not just to compliment my parents. You know, um, that situation that I described in 1981 when I'm literally, a, you know, less than a year old, you know, my parents moved into this, you know, pretty well-to-do neighborhood. And then my father goes on strike and <laughs> the situation was such that when they went on strike, it would, it would have been illegal for Ronald Reagan to fire them, Okay. And they changed the law to facilitate the firing. My father's union was under the impression that all the other transportation unions in the country were going to join them in the strike. And the other transportation unions did not do it, and the PATCO union went on strike anyway. Now, I don't actually have such a high opinion of public sector unions today, and I, you know, I actually am not so certain that what my father actually did was the right thing. However, that's what he believed was the right thing, and he did it, and, you know, he suffered for it, and my family suffered for it. He did not give up, you know. He went and put a lawnmower in the back of his two-door coupe 
and started mowing other people's lawns. And though he broke his hip in a motorcycle accident, he continued to do that. And he saved money, and he built the business, and he worked other jobs, and he worked his fucking ass off, you know, to the point where, like, I didn't see my father a lot when I was a kid. And he built that thing up and eventually, you know, was able to go back to the career that he loved, you know, many years later. <clears throat> and you might say that, you know, today it's more difficult, and I'm, I'm in no position to dispute that. Clearly, I'm not, you know, on a rapid upward trajectory myself. I get it. But, you know, the world is full of these stories where, you know, people are facing the most dire circumstances and they persevere and they try really hard and only by that method is anything accomplished and so like i don't begrudge anybody for you know having negative opinions about what's going on i don't begrudge anybody for having concerns about the future but there's only one way to overcome those things and that's why i I really like of all the things that I hold in contempt it's it's the hopeless attitudes that I see pervading <clears throat> and the and the and the idle complaining that people do you know one of the things that I really appreciate about my father uh, you know he's he has not had the easiest fucking life for sure and there's a part of my you know <clears throat> if you've been listening to the show for a long time you've heard me tell almost the exact same story in very different ways, you know, um, that are, that shine less favorably on my family. <clears throat> but, you know, I sort of came to appreciate that, you know, that he has this, you know, sort of stoic masculine virtue that like he does not, he, he thinks it's disreputable for him to fucking whine, right? And that's what he did. Like, he faced all this, you know, hardship as a consequence of doing what he thought to be the right thing. He, he was not going to leave his union brothers behind or whatever. He was not going to be a scab. He was not going to, you know, do something that he thought to be that disreputable. And, you know, when that happened, you know, he, all that he could do was take care of his family. You know, he, he insisted that my mother was going to stay home and raise his children. He was not going to, to kill his unborn child, you know. Um, not that he had to insist that to my mother, clearly, I'm just, you know, that was not something that was a serious, you know, consideration in my household, even though they were faced with this situation. And so like, you know, they're, they're facing this tremendous uncertainty and they're like, well, you know, we're a family, we're just going to do it. And you, and you today face a prospect that's not entirely dissimilar, you know, that, that you have a country, you have an extended racial family you have a movement you have friends you have things that you care about and like the only way that you can preserve them is to do the unpleasant things and to move forward and to do things that are at times tedious and unpleasant and that's the only way that anything gets accomplished and so like if at times you know things look dark believe me i fucking know <clears throat> but if you want them to get better, try. Just keep on trying. Because you actually don't have a meaningful alternative to that. You know, um, I composed a letter to somebody else recently who 
is really in a pretty bad spot and like they, like their life just kept on getting worse because they they thought it was too difficult and they'd like give up and drink you know and and now they're basically in a fucking facility you know and what i said to them was like look you you actually don't have a better choice than to than to deal with your unhappiness and move forward right it's you don't you don't get to just give up it, there is no giving up you can either work towards a better future or you can work towards a more miserable future. Those are the, those are actually the two options that you have. You can you're going to do these like unpleasant things. The question is whether the unpleasant and tedious and you know inglorious things that you do are going to result in a better future or not. And well, shit. If you think about it that way, that you know, doing those tedious and glorious and you know, sometimes unhappy things makes a lot more fucking sense because if you're going to do those things and then have a better future or you're going to suffer and be miserable for your failure to do them, well, you know, this is actually not as difficult a decision as some people would make it out to be, is it? You know? And so whatever it is that you got going on, whatever your concerns about the broader political situation, you know, the only thing that you can do that has any hope of making things better is trying to make them better if you're blackpilling and you're saying you know all hope is lost let's just you know make things as bad as possible because somehow some fucking maniac convinced me that that's the path forward well you know i'm sure as fuck glad my father didn't do that with my family for christ's sake you know i'm glad to have like I, I, you know, I mentioned in that thing that, like, I didn't get along with the kids I went to school with. I look at them like a bunch of spoiled fucking brats, and I'm really glad I'm not one of them, frankly, you know. And in that, in that audio, uh, you know, what I say is for not turning me into a pussy, I think when I actually publish it, it might say something like one of the spoiled liberal brats that I hold in fucking contempt or something that effect might be the, the final publication, you know. Well, that's what I mean, you know, if you are, if you are not met with challenges in your fucking life, you know, in the, um, in the piece I titled Unknown Soldier, I said, uh, you know, we've all seen people who don't know what it's like to suffer. They find themselves screaming like lunatics in the street, claiming that they are the most oppressed people in our society. We tend to mock them for this, but there's some truth to it. They've been deprived in a sense of what it means to be alive, to be, to, to be, to be human, to be alive even deprived of the opportunity to struggle. They, they are weakened and sensing this. They seek out struggle. They aim to see us return to a sort of Hobbesian state of nature, red in tooth and claw, more than an ideology. Perhaps they seek to see themselves deprived of the comforts which have rendered them unfit for the genuine contest of life. And we're not for the impact on our families. We might hope they got their wish, you know. When people are talking about open up the fucking borders and and have immigration completely destroy the country, have gas prices skyrocket out of control and the fucking dollar collapse, that's what they're talking about, you know. And if your vision of the future is that dark that that looks hopeful to you, work on that shit, okay? Because that wouldn't have worked for my father in 1981 and it's not going to work for you in 2024. You can either work towards a better future or you can work towards a fucking worse one. You're not going to do both, okay? And so 
That's off the top of my head. It's not a prepared statement. My sincere view of it. You know. And all the shit that we're facing, you know, it's it's <laughs> believe me, I'm in no I, I'm not so comfortable that, you know, it looks like an inconsequential thing. Uh but uh you know, you go do some time in prison and and you're gonna you're gonna very fucking quickly figure out that there's no such thing as like you know, you don't you don't get to just write it off. There's nothing that you can all you can do is do the fucking time, you know. And the rest of your life is not so different from that. There's no escaping, you know, the challenges that you have in front of you. You can either face those challenges and overcome them and build a better future or you can not rise to the challenge and watch things get worse and worse and worse and worse every day. And in politics, it's like it's it's substantially more difficult, right? Because you have infinite numbers of variables that you can't control, and that can look fucking helpless at times. But, you know, I if you watch the Omegle thing where I talk to that 16-year-old girl, you know, she she's like, no, we have no obligation to, you know, our country, our future, or whatever. <clears throat> and then she complains that the fucking whole thing's going out of control and downhill. And that, and that's the justification that she has for not feeling any obligation. Well, these things are not disconnected from one another. If, and if nobody feels like they have any fucking obligation, if nobody's trying to make the society better, if nobody believes that they have any obligation to their countrymen, what do you think the result of that is? It's exactly the situation that you're complaining about. So, like, you know, the only reasonable thing for you to do in that scenario is to you know, I hate to use the cliche, be the change you want to see in the world, right? You know? That's the thing we're doing. And I like the Antelope Hill Publishing guys because that's, you know, that's largely what they did, right? You know, they they were like, hey, you know, people are being censored. What should we do? We should start a publishing company. Well, there you fucking go. You know? There you go. Whatever it is, you know, that, you know, you have going for you, I, I imagine that if you're, if you're listening to this show, you know, you're not somebody who's just like blown around by the winds of society. <laughs> if you're listening to me, you know, you, there's a certain amount of determination that's actually required to do that, you know. So you're not an incapable person. I know that much about you by the fact that you can fucking hear my voice right now. So don't ever feel like you're fucking helpless because you're definitely not. And so thank you very much for listening this evening for watching uh i should i should go read i have uh at least one super chat i gotta get to um uh the open road sends five dollars now we can watch and listen to hitler's speeches in english in his own voice watch studiously uh that's uh that's an interesting point um yeah sailing G gale says um but chris larkin rose said the border is just a line on the ground yeah yeah, and, and Larkin Rose does not, you know, appear the picture of fucking happiness either, does he, right? Um, and so, uh, yeah, so thanks for, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for watching. Um, thank you for tolerating my technical difficulties at the beginning there. Um, I am infinitely grateful to those of you for just for your attention and all the more for those of you who make it possible. If you'd like to help make it possible, there's a, a number of ways for you to do that. GiveSendGo.com slash SPM is my GiveSendGo. Uh, uh, Edgy Chris is my cash tag for the, the, the cash app. 
um, strike payments, strike.me slash Cantwell. If you don't have strike payments, maybe you should just go sign up for it. Because, uh, you know, we've dealt with financial deplatforming in the past, and maybe you just have this account idle. It connects to your bank account. It doesn't cost you anything to have it. Might be a good idea. Um, <clears throat> cryptocurrency, all of, all of the QR codes and, and keys are available at ChristopherCantwell.net slash donate. And, uh, you know, all you Bitcoin guys, you're rich now. It went, it went over $60,000, so congratulations. Uh, and to those of you who have given me cryptocurrency over the years, thank you very much. It's, uh, I, I, I always love seeing that. Um, it's, uh, you know, cryptocurrency is an important feature. I should probably try to talk about it more on the show. You know, if you want to make a suggestion for somebody who might realistically come on the show as a guest to, you know, tell us interesting things about cryptocurrency, or if you have any other things you want to tell me about, um, ChristopherCantwell.net slash contact, you can get in touch with me. Not only do I know, but do an open phones radio show, but I'm very easy to contact off the air. A lot of, you know, pretty easy to talk to. And so I would encourage you to, there's a couple of voicemails I've gotten that I would, I would have played on the show today if I wasn't wrapped up with these guys, and, but we're already almost to midnight. So I'm going to go, we'll get to them soon. If you left me a voicemail, I have listened to it. I haven't forgotten about you. We will get to your messages uh, very soon. I've got Augustus Invictus is coming on Surreal Politics on Monday. That's going to be great. He's going to give us some legal analysis on the Rundo situation, which is, there's no shortage of controversy in that. Um, and he's got some updates on the on the Charlottesville cases as well. So really looking forward to Monday. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, fuck you, pay me. Have a good weekend. Thank you very much. Good night. That's it. It's over. Then we organized the death squads for the people who wrecked America. You know what you call people you can't talk to? Enemies. And if we want to divide our society into armed camps of enmity, all we have to do is keep doing what we're doing. A radical agenda. The event has turned into an opportunity for the left to push a racial and radical agenda. Implementing their radical agenda is the only thing they care about. They're bad actors. What they want to do here is ram their radical agenda down your throat. These are great Americans. These are people that want to see great things for the country. You know, they try and build them like uh, sort of a radical agenda. It's not a radical agenda. It's called the Second Amendment. Fuck you, pay me.